Welcome back to Travoltine Presents Easy Riders. Hosted by Jeff Sweeney and Stuart Elmore. Covering Bram Stoker's Dracula with special guest Cole Bradley. Dear Diary, Episode 11, Easy Riders, as I marched through the Valley of Death towards Count Dracula, into his castle of evil and mischief, I'm faced with an overwhelming sense of dread about what might come, what might my future be, what could possibly be waiting me behind those ironclad doors. Could it be recurring guest Cole Bradley returning? Could it be a vampiric nightmare of gothic proportion? I had no idea. The only thing I knew is that my dear love, Becca Johnson, would not be present in the carriage with me, for she was out on a shopping trip. That's right, folks. We're talking about Bram Stoker's Dracula today. It's it's too early. (laughs) Jeff, I just want to say, it's why the board pays for itself. (laughs) That was... was, um, (laughs) I really don't know how we follow that up. <laughs> can I can I ask you guys something? Yes. Yeah. Um, are you still? Do you still do the thing where you switch up the theme music every like break in the no. filmography? We no. okay. Only break it up for the um, individual shows. Okay. But yeah. not like with Travolta, we, where there was three different. Travolta yeah, we up. did that for Travolta, and then we just. It was, it was too much to ask Michael. To ask well, I was, okay, this is what I was going to say: was have you at all considered making the middle stretch of Winona? Winona by Drop 19s. Uh, no. Because it times out right. It, it would be a bit of a copyright infringement. Oh, but you're not making money off this. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> Except for the one episode where we play the entirety of Jordy's um, It's Christmas, Say No Hell. Yeah, that, I, that's true. M- much to my own co-host's consternation, I am like philosophically opposed to putting advertisements on a podcast. Yeah. But I was, when I was uploading a recent episode of mine, I did kind of idly just click over to the monetization tab of the hosting service I use. Yeah. Just to like see what the yeah. numbers were. Is that RSS? Were. No, it's ACAST. Oh, okay. Because um, gotcha, it's gotcha. free. But it was like 2,000 month- monthly listeners. And I was like, well, that's not happening for a fucking while. <laughs> that, that's, our U- that's the YouTube. Because whenever I'm on, yeah. our, because I handle all the YouTube uploads, which is why they're infrequent. <laughs> Sometimes uh, to post it on the wrong days um, for the listeners of YouTube. Oh my god. Um, if you listen to podcasts on YouTube, you probably need to be made like the ward of a state or <laughs> put under a I conservatorship agree. or something. Like in 2012, I can understand, but in 2024, it's not a thing anymore. It's it's the most convoluted service to use because I have to I go in and I have to list it as a podcast, which makes it so you can listen to it with like the app closed. Annoying. Can you <laughs> It, it, it is also my firm belief that Spotify and YouTube are non-viable podcast hosting services because I do think intrinsically to it being a podcast as opposed to just a like spoken audio show, it has to be downloadable off an RSS. Mm-hmm. Like by dictionary definition, a podcast is an MP3 or video file yeah, that right. is serviced via an RSS. And Spotify and YouTube are not yeah. that. Right. No. Does, do you have a separate? This is all the inside baseball that the listeners at home are craving. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is great. M- much like Count Dracula thinking about Mina for two thousand years. This is the uh, the uh, what the listeners yearn for. Um, 
Stuart, when you upload to RSS, does it auto-populate to Spotify, or is that a separate thing you have to do? It auto. Okay. Cool. Auto-populates. Okay. Well, that's, it auto-populates to a bunch of services. That's why like, yeah. we're, we're on like a bunch of different We've, platforms. We're on Amazon Music. We're on like... I think we are to i have to like set something up to make what, it start auto populating to spotify yeah and i won't do that because because of the principle of i don't also a i don't like that spotify doesn't makes you listen on their service and b i think spotify drops ads on it on their own that they're not paying out for mm. and in both those cases i'm like no i'm not going to take the 20 minutes or whatever to, yeah. to get the show on Spotify. Listen to it on a normal podcast service, mm-hmm. you fucking nerds. Yeah. I yeah. do I'm an Apple I'm an Apple podcast person. I'm mm-hmm. which has finally started changing. Did you notice this? Uh well, so say what you're going to say. I have another update for a podcast <laughs> the, service. We will talk about Dracula probably in like 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, probably. That's funny because I use Apple Podcasts and you know Becca makes these incredible like specific um like cover arts for They're each. Great. She makes for every individual episode she makes one. The Night on Earth one looks so fucking cool. It's so cool. <laughs> so good. But she makes individual ones and like I use them on the social medias to advertise but um Few Stuart, days after they Stuart come uploads out. them on yeah infrequently. Yeah. Stuart <laughs> uploads them onto the uh, at least they all get posted <laughs> eventually. Yeah, I'm, I'm um, better than me. But Stuart um, puts those in like the RSS file, and it was always annoying as an Apple Podcast person that mm-hmm. it didn't change the form. Mm-hmm. It only used the show logo, and whatever iOS update just came out, they actually started changing the oh, logos. That's nice, which is nice because like both because it's nice when I watch a podcast to see what the host intended for me to look at. But also, it's nice to just see Becca's work on my phone, which yeah. is nice. I was going to say, uh, Google Podcast is shutting down. It is shutting down. <laughs> uh, right, in, well, in, I got a, two, in a few weeks. I, I got to update into, the postscript. <laughs> they're allocating it now to YouTube Music. Yes. YouTube Music is going to be the new Google Podcast or whatever. So I don't know what that means because I'm, we're auto-uploaded to both. So I don't know if that means we're automatically going to go now to YouTube Music. However... If that means I don't have to upload to YouTube well, anymore... Jeff, I have something something to tell you. Yes. It's something I noticed two weeks ago, and I just haven't had the courage what? to tell you. RSS does have an auto YouTube upload button. What the fuck? <laughs> 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 don't you... Don't you wouldn't you still have to... Because doesn't YouTube treat it as a video file with just yes. a static image? So wouldn't yes. you still have to upload a second file? Or... No. It'll it'll auto it'll auto okay, put nice. it on and it'll, well, it'll do you want to know what the process has been for the past three years? I am fully aware. I can totally extrapolate well, what it would fucking be. Fucking Premiere Pro, drag the image, and then Stuart, did I? That's ret- why I had to stop doing it. Stuart, Jeff. Did I tell you the issue I ran into <laughs> when I started doing it? What did you run? Into? Um, so the first time I did it, I just it's a static image and an audio file. Mm-hmm. Put it in there and I press the export button, and it's like four hours for export. I'm like, yeah. how? Yeah. How? Yeah. Um, and then I realized I was exporting these static images in, in like 4K. 4K. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And so I was like, you know what? We don't have to do this. No. That, so I dropped I, it down to 81080. No, drop it down to 720. Like, again, there's no reason just, somebody should ha- watch the quality of the static image. <laughs> it, it, it should be in whatever Becca renders the image in to maintain the fidelity. Of <laughs> what if I was. The image file. What if I, I put my fucking like foot down and i was like no we upload in 4k <laughs> it was it's just like because i remember i first brought it up to you jeff i'm like we should stop uploading youtube until you showed me our youtube analytics that it's yeah. actually it's actually we cole, actually have pretty good youtube viewership cole you know what's really funny well, about it, our YouTube? that makes sense because 
people who listen to podcasts on YouTube and Brendan Fraser fans <laughs> both cannot be trusted with their own finances. <laughs> Go, you know what's really funny about our YouTube? Please. Is like the usually all will be like 10 to 100 listens. Okay. That's kind of like the, the range that they all wind up in. With the exception of a few that the algorithm has randomly decided, like, just whenever you look up movies, well, this will now be the top result, which has resulted in our Thin Red Line episode, I believe, having upwards of 25,000 Whoa! <laughs> but if you look at the <laughs> analytics of the video... It's, it's the Thin all, Red Line... It's, you know what it is? I can tell you It's this. all people who thought it's the movie. No. It's roughly the same it's, length. It's, it's the same people who did money fraud for um, Sound of Freedom. <laughs> it's Jim Caviezel boosters, <laughs> like 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 screwing the numbers and running bots to, to stream that episode. Yeah, here's our Thin Red Line episode. It has 28,905 views. You should do a Jim with, podcast. I would, that would be difficult. Top, top to comment, <laughs> guys, Jim Caviezel is not the guy with the wife. I don't know what that means. <laughs> and then, then the comment below is a thumbs down. Because they thought it was the fucking movie. They thought it was the movie. Uh, 77 likes. But if you actually... How many dislikes, though? Well, I forgot. YouTube doesn't show the amount of dislikes. dislikes. They killed the dislikes. Um, Which, why is it there? I I don't... I guess for algorithmic. Maybe. Uh, But if you look at the analytics, it's clearly people click on it and listen for one minute, and then they exit out. Ladder 49, 5.3 thousand views. Oh. All the people who tuned in, and they all drop off at the same point. Yeah, when you said Kentucky uh, Fried. When I disrespect the entire art of firefighting. Yeah, fuck you for that, by the way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So our, our, great, our great American heroes. <laughs> there is no such thing as an attractive cop and no such thing as an ugly firefighter. Agreed. All firefighters are tense. They're... <laughs> <laughs> and you're gonna keep doing that. I'm gonna leave. So cool. How are you liking the new board? I don't like morning zoo shit. You haven't commented on, on that whole opening intro yet. <laughs> yeah, it was it was good. It I, was I'm, a little disturbed. I, I don't want to like condone Jeff hijinks because I'm worried about what might happen later in this recording if if mm. I give him credit. Yeah, yeah. I'm okay. a little nervous. I might have some ideas. Yeah. yeah. Um. You know what else I have ideas on? The 1992 motion picture Bram Stoker's Dracula, <laughs> starring uh, Gary Oldman, Winona Ryder, Anthony Hopkins, Keanu Reeves, Richard E. Grant, Carrie Ellis, Billy Campbell, Sadie Frost, and Tom Waits. There we go. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Stop this. Stop this. <laughs> Not even with the score sound. Who did the score for this movie? It's so good. Uh, Woke Jack Killar. Who else? What else? Um, Give, me I'm looking, Give me those credits, baby. I don't know if there's... He did the Truman Show. Okay, it's a good score. It, yeah. Oh, no, he... Except it's not really a score because it's mostly the fucking... Okay, he didn't actually play, do play the Truman the Show. score. Yeah, they use some of... They use music he composed for something. He has not done anything else really... He's... Um, Where's he from? He's a, he's a Polish guy. It looks like he's basically just done Polish movie. He did The Pianist. Mm. That's the one other movie mm. I, I recognize here. Oh, and the portrait of a lady, um, the Nicole Kidman one. That's a that's a movie. In the Ninth Gate. How many uh, how many polls does it take to re- compose a score for a major Hollywood film? Three. Just one, as long as you can mostly use Philip Glass music. <laughs> that's a fucking Truman Show joke for all you Truman all Show the heads, Truman out, heads there out there who know that that's just the fucking Poyanoscotsi score. Yeah. Poyanoscotsi. Okay, Dracula. Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Um, 
right. I'll just fucking dive in. Um, but let's, go in let's go into the context corner. Um, as we all know, um, I've been reading the Winona Ryder biography, um, synchronous with the movies that we've been covering. Mm -hmm. um, and this was a somewhat beefy chapter. Um, beefy le movie. Yeah, leading up to the creation of or the release of this movie. Um, mostly in regards to how this movie gets made, which is basically, I don't, not entirely dependent on Winona, but she's kind of the initial spark that launches the creation of this movie. She, she gives the script to Coppola when she's still on Godfather, right? Not exactly. So she dropped out. After she dropped the, the, out. Okay. Well, I'll quickly summarize the Godfather thing, which is that when Coppola makes Godfather part three, um, he initially casts or tries to cast Julia Roberts in the role of Mary Corleone. I struggle to remember. Is it that's Mary? That's insane. Yeah. Um, she's unavailable, so he casts Winona Ryder in the role. Winona flies to Italy and starts production of the movie. Um, she has a nervous breakdown um, in addition to a scheduling conflict with mermaids that results in her dropping the movie after like a week of filming. Didn't, wasn't there a story she also like passed out from exhaustion? That's that's the um, like the nervous breakdown, okay. like full exhaustion, mm -hmm. just like she was going from movie to movie to movie. Yeah, um, and so she quits the movie, um, is afraid that Coppola is going to harbor a grudge, notoriously chill man, um, but not someone who actually harbors grudges weirdly yeah. enough someone who's kind of chill about that sort of thing. Well, I it's funny because that does loop back around at the yeah. end of this. Um, so she's nervous he's going to harbor guard, but she goes and she makes mermaids, um, takes like two years off, essentially, to kind of recompose herself. Mm -hmm. In that time, she's just reading scripts that are coming her way. One of them is uh, James Hart's script for this movie, mm -hmm. uh, Brom Stars Dracula, just kind of a more um, truthful and erotic adaptation of the Dracula novel uh, by Bram Stoker. And she's really interested in it. And she kind of just like puts it aside. And it's like, I want to play Mina in this. Um but I'm I'm gonna you know just take my time right now. Yeah, she arranges a lunch date with Coppola uh, because she like I said she's afraid that he's harboring a grudge and she wants to kind of smooth that over and talk to him and be like hey I'd love to do something with you in the future if this was situations out of my control I'm not the reason I you know just kind of smooth things over. Uh, she gets there and Coppola's like oh yeah it's totally fine whatever uh, he has no issues with her having left the Godfather. But what does happen in this is she's like hey I think you'd be really good for this script of Dracula. Um, you should read it. He's initially resisting. He's like, it's fucking Dracula. Who wants to do that? Then he reads the opening with like Vlad the Impaler, like putting all the people on spikes. He's like, oh, this whips. <laughs> and he immediately is like, this is my next movie. Yeah. Um, Winona obviously going to play the role of Mina. Uh, that's kind of what she pitches to him when she gives him the script. And he goes right into, this is my next movie. Yeah. Has, has she ever... I know you, you haven't really looked at anything post this, but like, do you know if there's like a sense of ever her ever having this like defuncto producer role elsewhere? Because from like a development perspective, mm -hmm. like she is very on the money vis-a-vis yeah. -vis that this script and this hook is yeah. a good fit for her and Coppola, right? Yeah. Like she fucking nails that she in a way that, this, Mostly, I think of like actor producers are good at. This is definitely the first time she's done it. Okay. Um, I don't know too much in the future. Um, we'll kind of uh, figure that out as we go through. I've never really heard a story about any of the other movies necessarily. Me neither. Yeah. Um, and but like obviously she does gain a little more clout in the movies that she appears in the future. But this is the first, and as far as I'm aware, like 
the biggest time where she's the one who kind of gets a movie made. And that's very essential, like, where we're at with her career. So we talked last week, just kind of retro, you know, recapping the first era of her career. Yeah. I once again have an issue with when you're dividing that line, but I think this is the best one. This is the best. I think this is a very clean cut. No, don't you think that it should be one episode earlier? Don't you think think Night Night on Earth? Earth? Before Night on Earth? Because that's that's the that's the her doing like serious stretches. stretches. She's still We thought about it, but here's the thing. In that movie, she's still playing a rebellious teen. Sure. And yeah. that is the last thing she okay. does before she takes a two-year break. Okay. Yeah, that makes yeah. more sense. And so, in the in the minor league of rebellious teen, she's been playing like shortstop and pitcher. Night on Earth, <laughs> she's in right field. Yeah. So like sure. she's in one segment of that movie. I've seen yeah. yeah. I've, the, I've seen Night on Earth. <laughs> <laughs> um, I almost blew my voice out recording that episode because I tried to do the Tom Waits song. <laughs> After um like spending a year watching like dumb movies for man children did mm. you guys like faint when you watched a mid-tier jim jarmusch movie <laughs> just off the like sheer injection of quality yeah <laughs> i mean we both we both really liked it, it, it was the movie's like, not even that good is the thing it was it, it's we, i guess we, it's on base we described it's on it, base we described it as being like the best 2 a.m movie you could watch alone at night sure except for all the other jim jarmusch movies wow. that are better than are they are as all jim jarmusch movies like Midnight 2 a.m. Mm-hmm. Oh, you watch okay. Mystery Train. Oh. oh, you should fucking watch Mystery Train. Yeah. Okay. Um, God, what, what was I just saying? Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> she, this is the, the. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Because she does, like we were talking about last week um, in our retrospective, she does come out of um, the last two movies, Mermaids and Night on Earth, being like, all right, I've kind of said my piece with um, playing like rebellious teens, playing teens. I want to play adult characters in adult movies. Mm-hmm. I want to just like be respected as an act for my talent instead of just being like a pop culture icon. And so it's very interesting to me that this is what she picks up as like this is how I want to announce myself after this two year break. Because mm-hmm. is it is it this right into Age of Innocence, yes. right into Reality Bites? It's or? this right into Age of Innocence, right into House of the Spirits, and That's then Reality Bites. Not a real um, <laughs> that was I've this. never heard of that. Our guest for that episode has no idea what that movie is. They just thought it was a funny title and picked it. <laughs> so. what, is, what is House of the Spirits? <laughs> it's her and Meryl Streep. Cool. Um, that makes sense if you if you want to work. with I Sherry also know with nothing Meryl. what that movie is about. It's another. It's another period drama. She basically has three period dramas in a row. Um, stars Meryl Streep, Glenn Close, Jeremy Irons, Winona Ryder, Antonio Banderas. Okay, so like when a lot of those people are like really hot too, though that yeah. that makes sense. Who directed it? Um, it's directed by Billy August. Oh, okay. So Billy August is like just one of his fucking second Palm Door. He's like coming to Hollywood. Like, okay, that that that's an interesting. Yeah, that that lands with his career move. This all works out. Billy August has two Palm Doors. Yeah, and for, no one knows who he for is. For the best intentions and Pele the Conqueror. Pele the Conqueror with the best poster ever? The Excuse is, me. So, so the thing you have to Look understand that is that Pele the Conqueror was a massive hit. Yeah. yeah. And a huge critical beloved thing. Mm-hmm. Best Intentions is not a movie that anyone has ever seen. And literally all it is is that Ingmar Bergman, right? Yeah. A, yeah. Kind of a big name in yeah. um, the Swedish cinema. Right. Um Famously, when he was on his like hot streak in the middle of the century, uh-huh. 
the the con programming team was like at odds with the movies he was making. So Ingvar Bergman never won a Palme d'Or. He yeah. was like maybe in competition like once or twice, right? The Best Intentions is a biopic of Bergman's parents. So mm. Billy August wins his second Palm functionally as, because at this point Bergman's retired, functionally as a way for them to like de facto Apologize. Yeah. It's, okay. it's like someone else getting the makeup Oscar. Yeah. Which is crazy. That's really funny. Yeah. yeah. And That's wrote, why we've never heard of that movie. And Neymar yeah. also wrote the script for it. Yes. Anyway, he also directed House of the Spirits, a movie we're talking about in two weeks. Um, that, that, no doesn't, that doesn't exist. Yeah, because Billy August is not a real director. Fake, fake movie. That fake has beat. two palm doors. It's almost two and a half hours long. <laughs> That's the thing about that movie. Is that because, um, 20 minutes longer than this one. And this one's yeah. long. Yeah, this is a beefy movie. Beefy. Um, it wasn't as beefy as I thought it would be, though. But it's like a good, the good type of beefy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'll, be, I'll be honest. I started the movie at 9.30 p.m. Yeah. last night. The perfect time to watch this movie. It is until you're like in bed with a heated blanket yeah. and winter <laughs> I, in Chicago with your two two pillows on your back and you're just like okay. I, I did watch I did watch half of this last night and yeah. half of this this morning. I almost considered th- this that. movie does kind of like lull me into like a, a trance like state. Like yeah, I, I did not bring notes with me today, as you two can see, yeah. Yeah. because I like could not. Stop watching the movie, yeah. right? Like yeah. it, it, this movie is so interesting. You don't want to look away. That I that I like was not even thinking of things to say. Yeah, or ideas to jot down. Which is, I love this movie. I adore. To this be movie. clear, I adore I this movie. Do you think this is probably in the top five movies we talked about on this show? Wow, yeah. I would say that. Wow. What's I mean? What's better? Blowout. Maybe I put blowout. Above. Maybe that like that's the only one that I could think of. Gods and monsters. I like. Oh. I'm a big Gods and Monsters. Gods and guy. Monsters is bad. I like Gods yeah, and Monsters. Gods and I'm Monsters. A big Gods and Monsters. Gods, guy. Gods and Monsters is really good. No, it's bad. Um, it's a bad movie. And then it's like the most sexless movie I've ever seen in my life. Disrespectful to James Whale. Really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Not enough twinks. Oh. I was like, that sounds like a conversation not, we could have. Then you said twinks, not enough twinks. G.I. Um, <laughs> Joe Riser. No, kidding. I was going to say, that is the last movie you covered. That is the last one I covered. <laughs> you it was like a year secret. ago, because yeah. we recorded that one so early. I listened to too. this in preparation, because I had not remember what a Cole Bradley episode sounded like until I got into, which that one you weren't even slated on. You just jumped on mid-episode. <laughs> I'm <laughs> just deeply upset Mark Tilly. Deeply upset at Mark uh, Tilly. I mean, yeah, I was like, like what else... I mean, I think there's a future Winona movie that I probably like more than this one. Um, is it? I I keep getting told by next week's guest that Age of Innocence, is, and it's not Age of Innocence, but Age of Innocence is a fucking banger. It's great. Yeah. Um, are you gonna? Are you pitching the Alien Resurrection? No, supremacy? Alien Resurrection is bad. It's no good. There, there might be another one that I'm booked on that I think is maybe better than this one. Darkly? No, wait, no, not Darkly. Um, <laughs> uh, Scanner Darkly. Scanner Darkly. Yeah, yeah. Scanner Darkly. I really um, that's that's a that's a Cole Bradley movie though. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, right, um, but so Winona gets the, the project yeah. Coppola, who immediately launches right into it. He's trying to cast uh, the movie around Winona, essentially. So a lot of the actors do chemistry tests with Winona. Yeah, which I think is it's very important to remember when you're watching this movie that she's kind of the f- impetus of the casting process. Yeah, she is also clearly the protagonist yes. which mina is not traditionally the protagonist yeah. she's not the protagonist of the novel though she is like the pov character for 
much it, of it because of the weird structure of it. And she's not the protagonist of the Browning version. Yeah. In the slightest. That move, I watched the- It's or, not good. It's very boring. It's very- Which one are we talking the, about? Like the, orig- the Bela Lugosi original Dracula. What, what year is this one? Like 1931. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. I have not seen it. I've seen Nosferatu, but I have Nosferatu not seen Nosferatu fucking rules. Yeah, I, I like yeah. Nosferatu. And I actually, like, that's some... I have, like, maybe two points to, like, point out there with, like, the Nosferatu yeah. over... Oh, Nosferatu. The yeah. only thing the Browning one has going for it. The Browning one is a real, like, early sound. We don't know what we're doing. Yeah. Like, creaker. Mm-hmm. The only thing it has going for it is... That the first fifteen minutes, the Renfield stuff are really good. They're really good, and Lugosi in general. Yeah. For all that I kind of rag on Lugosi <laughs> um, <laughs> as as a as a performer, uh, Lugosi is very good in Dracula. Yeah. Like that is undeniable. Mm-hmm. He's just not Boris Karloff and Frankenstein. Yeah, um, that's so good. Um, but so th- she's kind of the impetus of the casting. They all cast around her. Um, all the actors they're considering for Dracula. Um, all have to do chemistry tests with her. Do we know who else was? I Coppola wanted Day Lewis, but he was already booked on Last of the Mohicans. Yeah, it's not it's not good. But I heard yeah, they it's good next almost week. casted Liam Neeson for Van Helsing, but then it was like decided to go with crazed Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> Anthony Hopkins, bullet, right off the coattails of Bullet Dodge, Silence maybe. of the Lambs. It's me. It's me. I'm, Which, I'm Van Helsing. I, and I love, it's, to it's, be clear, I love Liam Neeson, but I'm not. Well, giving that Hopkins performance. I, I away read for that anything. IMDb trivia fact about it that yeah. like because of his up, it was like it worded in the phrasing of like Liam Neeson was once considered for Van Helsing, but after Anthony Hopkins skyrocket rise and fame from Sounds of the Lambs, they put him instead. And I thought, wait a minute, if his skyrocket and fame was Sounds of the Lambs, why isn't he Dracula in this movie? <laughs> like, I feel like putting him from like Hannibal to the because he has because Dracula has to be young. Right, that's okay. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. needs to be a young That's very true. That's very true. I will say this though about about Neeson. Um, I know this novel and movie is set in London. Yeah, but no one really talks about this. But Dracula is kind of the like most culturally important work of art mm-hmm. to come out of Ireland in the past couple hundred years, even oh. if he was living in London when he wrote yeah. it. Like, Bram Stoker is Irish. Oh, um, I'm learning this. Yeah. First time. Uh, it would have been nice to have one Irish actor yeah. in the movie. He was Irish, but he lived, he lived in London. Okay. He, he um, yeah. He I was thought, kind of in the... So it's a gray area. It's yeah. not like... But he's, he's, he's Irish. He's an okay. Irish writer, yeah. That's, I, I'm just now learning that. I pulled up the uh, the page from the Winona biography about the other actors who screen tested Caleb with he has two fucking tablets. Yeah, that's great. great. <laughs> um, the, so the people who screen tested opposite Winona... Um, oh, I do want to say that um, Andy Garcia approached Coppola about it, but then said, I don't want to do the love scenes. And so Coppola's like, well, then you can't be in the movie. Um, but the screen tests were Armand Desant... Asante. Um, Asante. Insane. Cool. Gabriel Byrne. Okay. Makes sense. Irish. Vigo Mortensen. Mm. Antonio Banderas. That. And Gary Oldman. Banderas. The problem with Banderas is that then you're like just right thick in the fucking the, the like lo- lovey. xenophobia stuff oh. of the novel that I think this movie pointedly is like not wanting. Because there's there's this. There's this subtext in the novel that some adaptations lean into in good and bad ways and some adaptations ignore. Yeah. That, like, Dracula is the, like, 
Eastern European creature defiling like the good whiteness of Western oh, Europe. Oh yeah, and that is not the, the the capitulation of Dracula in this text as someone from Eastern Europe is not to be read as the other the way that like yeah. Bela Lugosi is like this foreign monster, right? And if Banderas is there, even though he's obviously not, he is from Western Europe, but because he's darker skinned yeah. and, ha- yeah. and, and reads as more ethnic, right. you're kind of tiptoeing oh, into that minefield yeah. that I don't, I just don't think Coppola wants to be he, like, he didn't have an interest in that exploring that space. And there were, there I were, understand what you're saying though. Yeah. There were, there were good adaptations of Dracula that play with that sort of like defilement of whiteness in interesting ways that it's just not the movie. I think Coppola wanted to make yeah. because he he takes the sim. Um, I'll loop back to it later, but he takes the same idea of like a foreign body invading and makes it much more about like I like the sexuality and there's the you know the syphilis civilization yeah, line, the implicit AIDS, yeah, the AIDS parallels throughout this whole thing. He kind of does the same idea, but with that instead of making it specifically about cultural difference. Yeah, have you guys ever? seen or heard of um, Guy Madden's Dracula, Pages from a Virgin's Diary. No. Mm-hmm. That is a Dracula movie from, I want to say, 2001, 2002. Mm-hmm. It's it's an adaptation of a Canadian ballet. Um, mm-hmm. It was supposed to be a pro shot, but Guy Madden like, decided to just like restage the whole thing in his own. But that, that ballet is mostly about the Dracula seducing Mina stuff, I'm mm-hmm. sorry, Lucy stuff. Mm. And it is actually kind of a romance. Mm. And that one, they cast a Chinese ballerina to play Dracula. Oh. So so instead of like a threat, it's like this romantic allure of an interracial relationship and recasting Dracula is that. Mm. That and this are, I think, the most interesting Dracula yeah, there's, movies. Because it is, it's a public domain text at this it point. Is a public so you domain, can do it. It, not at this point. It's a public domain yeah. text in the States. Yeah. By like 1905, I think. Yeah, like, he fucks up the copyright. We could go and make a Dracula movie right now. So it's it is one of those things that is interesting that you can do anything you want yeah. with it. Basically, can I? This is you both are going to punch me in the fucking groin for bringing up this yeah. comparison. But like, I just have to say it because it's something that I just recently kind no, of please. looked at and found out. There's a very popular game a lot of people are playing called Baldur's Gate Three. Yep. And spoiler alert! It's not spoiler. a spoiler. No, no, no. <laughs> what do you mean? Are you about to say what you, I think you're about to say? The the Casador vampire boss. Oh, oh, I thought you were going to say that Asterian's a vampire, which I've been no, saying. No, okay, no, no, that's no, not that's a spoiler. That part. No, no, no. The it vampire, was, yeah. It was something that interesting that as you were guys were just talking about, it made, made brought up to my mind. So, spoiler alert for folks who are going through the Baldur's Gate 3 campaign right now and you're interested in the Asterian storyline, this is a spoiler for that particular storyline, so skip a few seconds. Mm-hmm. But Asterian, whose backstory is he's a vampire, uh, Spawn, who got turned by a vampire lord named Casador, and he's sort of hinted at Acts 1 and 2 as being like this big boss you're eventually going to have to fight in Act 3, which mm-hmm. is Asterion's master. And so, but you don't see him. You see a bunch of henchmen he sends out, and in the game, you're thinking, you're starting, you're trying to fill in the blanks of what does Casador look like? Mm-hmm. And of course, like me, who's, like, I'm not that in-depth in this literature and lore you guys have been talking about too much. I'm, like, my knowledge of vampire movies is Van Helsing, Underworld, and Twilight. Like, <laughs> I mean, I'm not that. I'm not gonna sit here and pretend like I know the deep lore of like vampires and stuff. Is this, what so, you're, this is what you're envisioning, kinda. 
but like a, the, but not even that. Like I'd say more kind of underworld style, like uh, a Charles Dance Dracula from Charles Dracu- Dance from- is in Underworld. No, no, no. Charles okay. Dance from Dracula Untold. Charles Dance is in Dracula Untold. Yes, he is. <laughs> I, sure, uh, I believe like you. You're, you're thinking about old white man <laughs> yeah. kind of style. And then when I get to Act Three, uh, you see Casador. He turns around, and it's like a, the, and of course it's animated video game, obviously, but like. The animation is very clearly saying it's like, no, this is like a immortal 30 year old Asian man. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, like it just completely like there was like He's maybe ordinary. Yeah. It's a two second bump in my head. Yeah. That I in the I put 130 hours in this game. Yeah. So you have to imagine like that fight 115 hours. I had been envisioning what this big bot vampire lord boss is going to look like. And he turns around. It's like a 30 year old Asian guy. And I'm like, oh. I don't know. I guess I don't know what I was expecting, but like it's so I bring that up from what you guys were saying. I hated that fight so much, dude. It was shadow heart daylight. It bunch of radiant spells. You're good. I spec shadow heart poorly. I think I I need to make another post Uh, that because everyone said go to camp. Take control of her character. Go to Withers. I do. I did change that. her class I, to I, light. Of course, dark. I of course did that. Okay, I think good. I spec'd her more stat wise, equipment wise, uh, okay. poorly because she would just she was. I, it was so hard keeping her alive. Yeah. And everyone always says that like Shadowheart can blow through so much of the stuff with the light powers. And I yeah. had that thought because I played enough D anD D that I like. Yeah. I, I I understand how mechanics integrate with each other. Yeah. Um, back to that public domain thing though. Um, yes. I've been thinking about this a lot because, you know, we're recording this in January, so it's been like three weeks since Steamboat Willie went yeah. to the public domain, and there's yeah. been all this public domain chatter with Steamboat Willie, and we had the same thing last year with Winnie the Pooh. And I've been thinking a lot about how Frankenstein is an old enough text by the time that mass media pops up, it's already public domain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But Dracula and Night of the Living Dead, mm-hmm. the George Romero movie, yeah. through... Fuck ups on behalf of the creators enter the public domain prematurely. That mm. both in both cases, Bram Stoker and George Romero like screw up the copyright filings. Basically, oh, yeah. I, I don't know a hundred percent the details of what happened with Dracula, but that novel enters the public domain very early in the United States, and um, Night Living Dead enters the public domain like six months after its release in the United States. Um, and I think in both those cases, though, like. I think sometimes people are like, well, they, they were robbed of all the money they could have made off this mm-hmm. thing. But you also have to think of it is that zombies and vampires as an idea are now no longer copyrightable yeah. concepts. Because so much of our conception of vampires is rooted in Dracula. And the reason that happens is because people are allowed to write vampire fiction that pulls freely from Dracula as a source of inspiration mm-hmm. without the Stoker estate, like fucking jumping on them yeah. and being like, eh, 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 eh. we created this. We own the aristocrat idea, right? Yeah. We own the idea of refinement. We own the mirror thing. Like yeah. there's all this stuff. And oh, like yeah. Romero creates the modern conception of zombie. So whole hog in that movie that then like, he, but he can't claim ownership of the concept, the concept, right? So like anyone can go do that stuff. And just the, the culture at large is so much better for the fact that people are allowed to like mix and match with the ideas that Bram Stoker puts in this not very good book. Um, just, just to the fact that like 
now we have a broader lineage of vampires and idea yeah. that is so rooted in his thing that wouldn't exist if, it if was, he had if control, it, yeah, if he had control it. of it. Yeah. I think that's a I think that's, that's actually a, that's, that's an actually incredible a point. Re, that's an yeah. incredible point you just made because how many times when people talk about zombie apocalypses is well I would survive in George Romero's zombie apocalypse but I would not survive in Dawn of the Dead apo- uh, zombie apocalypse because yeah, but, of but the Dawn of the, but Dawn of the Dead doesn't exist if if exactly there's not fucking. Um, Living Dead of the Manchester Morgue, right? 100%. That, like all these nine Living Dead knockoffs help shape the thing. That there's there's walking zombies, there's running mm-hmm. zombies, there's vampires that can walk in the day, there's vampires mm-hmm. who can't. There's there's no Asterian, I think, is the point I'm making. Absolutely, because pro, pre, obviously there are like more like higher class vampires in fiction that predate Dracula because there's yeah. like Carmela for like 20 years earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but like much pre, I read. A bit of recently departed David J. Scull's book, uh, Hollywood Gothic, which is about the kind of early development of Dracula on the stage and then into the um, the Bell Lugosi Tom Browning movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was I mostly just read stuff about the writing of the book and the publishing of the book. Yeah, and he talks a lot about that Dracula is responding to like a century of popular vampire fiction mm. in Europe and in England and in France. Okay. But so much of that idea of vampires pre Stoker and pre Carmela um, is like the, the va- va- almost more like a zombie like creature, almost more like yeah. Nosferatu. That is just this sure. like monster that preys on people during the night. It's not necessarily yeah. like a personality with a person with a con- with but, a conscious, well, a and, conscience. Yeah. And yeah. even if Dracula doesn't really have a conscience in that novel, like that's something people take from the novel and build on exactly that now that we like kick that back to that's the core idea of count Dracula. i think it's the key differentiation between werewolves and vampires that 100 percent proto stoker vampires are much more akin to werewolves or like chupacabras yes or they're like vaguely humanistic um but don't have a humanistic consciousness and are just or a persona yeah which dracula in the novel is kind of half one Half Six one, and one, half, half a dozen other. of the other. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, where he is more of like, feels at times like a monster who has learned how to walk and talk like a human. Yeah. As opposed to say the Oldman take, which is that he's a corrupted. He's a corrupted human. Which I personally think is more interesting is the idea of the corrupted human. Because but this, uh, th- that's the Oldman thing and Stoker's more Stoker's half more half. like you're like. A, a lizard in a human skin, uh, to, to quote Fulci, okay. right? That like, because you you get you get bits of that in this movie, right? Where you got like the hair on the palms, yeah, and the like crawling all over the building, yeah. and there is this sense of like this is some. I I, I I've read this novel many many moons ago. Um, I reread about half of it for this recording. I just couldn't get it finished because it's so boring. It, yeah. it is a bad novel, to be clear, and the the. I have the novel. I've never read it. It's it's written like in first person POV dispatches. It's right? yeah. It's an epistolary novel, which is very popular in Victorian yeah. literature. So it's like the first chunk of it is Harker's journal as he goes to Transylvania mm-hmm. and gets trapped, and then the rest of it is 
Mina's journal, Lucy's journal, Seward's journal, letters people are writing to each other, news clippings, yeah, uh, the captain's log from the Demeter, yeah, like it, like it becomes much more of a like collage. Did anyone see that movie? It's the worst movie of 2023. It sucks. So bad. I know. I actually was it thinking looked, about watching it. Was it was such a good idea. Yeah, but it sucks. Oh. It's 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 just interminably dull. Okay. Right? It's like it's not even that they it does anything offensive. Two nightmarish Dracula movies in 2023. Yeah. What was um, the other one? Renfield. Renfield. Oh, but I like heard Renfield, that one wasn't that good either. Renfield, like, you can point at Renfield and be like well, these are just like calamitous yeah. decisions that are being made. It's like a wildly ill-conceived Stuart, what movie. do you think the main conflict of Renfield is? He wants to get laid. No, what do you think, like, the story, like, the the plot line that the characters are on is You're about? You're never gonna guess. What is it? What? Tell me what you think. I'm I want to hear some guesses. Seats with you, Stuart. <laughs> I want to hear some guesses. He wants to get laid. He wants to... The plot. Uh, I... The I, thing I don't know. I, the physical task that characters are on. Stuart, the motion picture released in April 2023, Renfield, is about the Los An the the New Orleans the New Orleans Police Department engaging in a drug bust of a of a prominent <laughs> Latin crime ring that happens to have a vampire maybe connected to it. It is most, but like that, that's half that movie is Aquafina in a cop outfit, just being like, "We gotta bust these guys." <laughs> okay, yeah, that movie. That movie is it's, about Aquafina is a traffic cop who's like stuck being a traffic cop because she's the only member of the New Orleans PD who wants to like take down the local mob, and everyone else is on their payroll. Yeah, so she's like being kept down, and she like teams up with Renfield to like bust the mob. So the mob teams up with Dracula to bust <laughs> Renfield. That is what that movie is about. But that's my point, right? That movie is like a calamitous series of decisions. Yeah. You yeah. can't look at Last Voyage of the Demeter the same way, even though I think it's a worse movie. Mm -hmm. Last Voyage of the Demeter is just like, it does nothing interesting. Right. It's just, it's just it. a failure. Damn and it. it that's so sad. Alien on a boat is a great idea, and it just it executes every aspect of it incorrectly. Mm -hmm. Just It is just bad and it's just a it's two hours long you're just sitting there praying for death oh my god it's almost as long as this and yeah, you know what the last like voyage of the demeter you know how much the last voyage of the demeter takes in this movie it's like 30 seconds yeah yeah it's, it's a great transition yeah you just like you're just watching a boat over dracula's eyes like superimposed on the screen flying by and you hear a guy go there's something aboard with us and then the and boat then comes like, in, there's all these storm clouds, and, and Winona's like, like shutting the windows. He's in like fucking like utero lining, because yeah. he's, he's like rebirthing as a younger Gary Oldman. Oh, it's so fucking, this movie's so fucking good. <laughs> this movie is great. Um, do we want to just start going through it? Let's just start going through it. Because there's, I think we're about to get sidetracked with a probably two hour discussion about the most crucial question we have to answer today. I'm not looking forward to that. <laughs> the most crucial question. It is the, the 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 issue on hand with this movie annoyingly though. Yeah. It it's um so movie starts. Um we get the opening um of Dracula essentially as Vlad the Impaler. Yeah. In 1400s AD. I saw this movie for the first time probably when I was like 14. Yeah. Right? And like mm. 
I don't I don't necessarily know that it's the case anymore, but I do feel like because this movie was a big hit and this was a big hit, um, this movie had like a very long cultural tale mm-hmm. where I was just like very well aware before I had seen this movie of just a lot of like the imagery of the movie. Mm-hmm. And especially like a lot of like the imagery of Gary Oldman and what he looks like yeah. in this movie. And yet still sitting down watching this movie and like 30 seconds in, he puts on this like insane this might have been this might have actually been the first Coppola movie I may have seen The Godfather already it's like the red blood knight armor but he puts on this blood knight armor that I can't even like fully describe and I remember just being like well this is the coolest thing I've ever seen yeah, and first thing my, off the bat, that is my only memory of the first time I watched this. Truly, yeah. is just how intense I found this like three minute opening yeah. prologue. The, yeah, and the score for this movie, which is quite shocking, the guy hasn't really done yeah. much else. It's incredible. And you're just like, I think a lot about um, the scene in the Matrix Resurrections. Yes, where you, they finally get to IO, and yes. um, Jada Pinkett Smith is talking with Neo, and is like, you hear that. And yes. the score, it's just completely silent. Yes. And she's like, think about all that noise the Matrix is always pumping into your ears. And you realize that the whole movie up to that point, there's never been a silent moment. Even in moments of ostensible silence, there's just been background noise. Mm-hmm. Just kind of filling the space. And I think about that a lot with this movie when I was watching. Because like it is just this cacophony of noise that's just being constantly thrown at you. Mm-hmm. Then about halfway through, there's like a moment with Mina and Dracula where it just goes silent. Mm. Yeah. And it is just like just this incredible display of filmmaking where it's just like it's bombarding you endlessly. Yeah. And then finally you just have a moment where you catch your breath and you're like, I didn't even notice how that was working on me this whole time. Yeah. And that's why I think about that Matrix scene so much when I'm watching um, movies like this that yeah. really use sound as this, there you know, this tool against you. Is a book that I am blinking on the name of and I am trying to look up that I read a few years ago um, that is about the Todd Browning Dracula and the James Whale Frankenstein, yeah. right? Those first two yeah. universal horror movies and kind of locking them into the um, development of like sound technology yeah. and film because those are such early, you know, sound films. Yeah. And that there's this idea that like when they made the Todd Browning Dracula, they had only just figured out audio post-production, hmm. right? That like up, like that's one of the first movies made with full lead sound mm-hmm. ever, but they have yet to figure out multi-track. They, they can't mix anything. Right. So if you watch that first Dracula movie and a sound effect gets layered on top of things, it is the only sound, sound in yeah. the movie, and it's only one. And it and drops it gives, everything else out. And it because ha- it has to drop everything else yeah, out because yeah, yeah. they they can't they mix put it. it on top of it. Oh, they they literally they're oh, not even so putting it on top of it. They're they're cutting the location audio oh, track, yeah. and putting, putting in a studio sound- track. Oh, in. that's so interesting. Um, and it is once you once you remember that I can't remember the name of this book, but it does give that movie that original one this very like dreamlike nightmare feel. Yeah. But I think the like dips out of sound in this so much of this. Movie is Coppola like reveling in the old early thing. film yeah. craft yes. technology and less less Coppola actually more so his son reveling in early like cinematic techniques. His son, I yeah. would almost say this is one of the most impressive displays of like I would honestly say craft, just yes. film craft. Yeah, 
um, um, of its time. Absolutely. Francis Ford Coppola did not want to use contemporary um, uh, film tools. Film tools in the making of this movie. So sure, yeah. you will often hear people say that all the effects in this movie are, are in, camera, in camera, which I don't think is. We can, we can debate mm-hmm. to what degree in camera is in camera, but yeah. there is like, it's so basic that there is no traditional mat work in this movie, yeah. right? Like mm-hmm. if, if, if normally it would call for a mat, um, he instead uses rear projection. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the only reason I would quibble with that is there's a lot of double exposure. Yes. Photography where they yeah. film something and then use the same, reel of film to film something again. Yeah, so it's like the can, rat like, across the screen. They filmed yeah, the rat running on a bar, flipped it upside down, and then... Yeah, yeah, so basically, like, like normally you would use, like, an optical printer or even just, like, computer editing, though this is still too early to do that, but you use, like, optical printing or other techniques to, like, composite those two images together. He didn't want to do that. But, so it looks like Stuart doesn't know this. Um, I don't, I'm, but I'm very interested. This this was his big idea to pitch this, and he went to all, like, the big effects houses, and they were like, can't be done. Okay. And so he said, fine. And so he went to his son, Roman Coppola, who is a filmmaker in his own right, but I think is probably best known for doing writing and doing second unit and production design on most Wes Anderson movies. Okay. Um, listeners, if you've ever wondered why Wes Anderson like develops that dollhouse aesthetic in between bottle rocket and Rushmore, it's because Rushmore, he starts working with Roman Coppola. Yeah. And Roman Coppola brings a lot of the like paper mache stop motion dollhouse stuff to Wes Anderson. But Roman's young at this point. Um, but he basically Coppola basically goes to Roman and is like, you want to just fuck around. Yeah. And so Roman Coppola does all the effects and a lot of the second unit photography for this movie. Wow. And basically just this idea of just try anything. Yeah. And we'll, we'll see if it works and we don't need to like make it look cohesive as an idea. We just want it to look cool. Mm-hmm. He's kind of gave his son a camera and he's like, go fuck around. We'll yeah. find out. I mean, all the, the Dracula POV stuff is Roman on his own. Yeah. Um, with with a camera, with a oh, still camera, yeah. with a wait, still camera. Wait, what? Yeah, because that's. Wait a minute. I don't know if he had seen all the all the the the, the Dracula POV stuff the POV going stuff into places. Is all um, stop motion uh, time lapse photography. It's it's Roman moving through the set, taking each frame individually, and that's why it has this like lurch energy to it. Oh. Which I don't know if he had seen this because i don't think it had gotten much of a u.s release but that is also what shinya sukamoto does in tetsu of the iron man which mm-hmm. comes out a few years before this oh, um so but shinya sukamoto does it much smoother than Cop- than roman yeah. coppola does because it's Ro- interesting that it's, it's the same basic idea that sam raimi kind yes. of invents in yes. evil dead but whereas sam raimi is just like grabbing a 60 millimeter camera and just fucking sprinting through the woods yeah. and then playing it back faster later the idea of you know, getting that artificial, like weird shifting to it. Kind of rapid shutter yeah. walking. Yeah, really does work with the still imagery. Yeah. Because obviously you can't be exact. Like you're not going to get the exact same line. You know, the, your hands and your body are going to shift slightly. So you're not getting a straight line of movement. And you're my, getting like this. My understanding is that it's literally just Roman, like walking through and just like intuitively feeling like when he thinks lurches should happen, when he thinks it should move slower, he's just like making passes with it mm-hmm. to then run through. 
That's so cool. Yeah, yeah the, the, so much of this movie I think makes more sense when you think that it's like a 19 year old's like playground. Yeah. yeah. Well, I read something that like he essentially wanted to use very small, simple sets, but just go <laughs> full out with costumes and mm. that they said no and that he had to use like legit sets for it. Yeah. Is there any other content? And then he's just like, all right, well, then if I can't do small sets, I will do the, the biggest, biggest sets, sets imaginable. The- yeah. I. Uh, there's this quote I saw on the Wikipedia page um, from Neil Jordan. Uh, who a few years after this makes interview with a vampire, mm-hmm. um, and he the, he's talking about how you know this is this is to this day I saw someone say this is like the most acclaimed Dracula vampire movie ever made, mm-hmm. if only because it's the only one to have won multiple Oscars, if not a single Oscar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But something Neil Jordan said about this movie was like he said that this movie inspired him to make interview with a vampire because it was the first time he had ever seen a vampire movie that was high art and high studio level filmmaking yeah, yeah. and not just like some cheap janky European production mm-hmm. yeah. which is funny because I watched this movie and I'm like this is Coppola's love letter to cheap Your janky, janky European, European vampire yeah, movies of the 60s and 70s down to these like cavernous massive sets yeah. that are obviously so much more detailed than like a Mario Bava movie would have but like exist in the state of like otherworldliness that you get from lower rent soundstage filmmaking, right? Mm -hmm. Like nothing in this movie feels like a real location. And something that I love about what he's doing with the movie is each location that the movie set in does feel like an homage almost to a different type of film. Yes. Because this opening does really feel like a 1923 um, period medieval crusades movie. Yeah. But also the best version of John Borman's Excalibur at yeah. the same time. Like it feels yeah. like one of those movies. And then it becomes a shadow play. Yeah, because it's straight <laughs> up it like has like the shadow illustrations against just yeah. an orange backdrop. Um, you're having all he does the uh the impalations on the spikes all through silhouette. Dracula's lit in this incredible way in which obviously he's just like up against a stage wall that they've painted orange yeah. and they just blasted a light at. Yeah. Um, but it it never fails to affect you despite the fact that you all you can feel the artificiality that's part of the charm and the joy of it yeah have you have you guys seen one from the heart Mm-mm. i a long time ago okay um do you know one from the heart Stuart? no one from the heart is like it is the last so if we if we talk about francis for a couple as a filmmaker right mm-hmm. we're thinking like he starts off making like exploitation movies in the 60s and then he kind of becomes the like biggest director in hollywood through the seventies. And then he has this very dramatic, like career collapse kind of spends the eighties in the wanderlust and then kind of peaks back up in the nineties with this like weird tension between his own art film desires and kind of studio sellout projects that yeah. kind of rides out the rest of his career. Um, so one from the heart is the movie that like kills that like golden period for him because it is such a colossal bomb. Mm-hmm. But what it is, is that he wanted to shoot it, the movie set in the Las Vegas strip. And he decided to build, rebuild the Las Vegas Strip in sound stages rather than just shoot it there. Not for cost purposes, but because he just liked the idea of it just feeling like a little pristine and hermetic and otherworldly. Yeah. And like not like a, he he didn't want location shooting. Interesting. Um, and he like bankrupted United <laughs> Artists. <laughs> oh doing my God. So to some degree, I'm like, I watched this movie and I'm like, oh, he's, he's 
getting to be back at the scale that he was at when he was like making Apocalypse Now. Yeah. And he's like mm-hmm. indulging he's in relishing. all his pet, like just getting to just throw money at the screen and like never concede to anything yeah. outside the like dream space he's built for yeah. himself. And wow. so he rules on the topic of dreams. <laughs> the over <laughs> there's a very loose. We? We're an hour. We're good. Yeah. We're, we're doing great. Oh no, we're we got great. we got so much time, but we I gotta get us to yeah. the important thing we have to talk about. Yeah, um, I don't want to talk about. It. We have to. But I don't want to. Simply talk about have to. Are talk we about gonna it. settle the issue? We after, have after to settle years? the issue. Because I'll um, settle it. We have to settle it. I'll settle it. Um, but so we're introduced to Vlad the Impaler, Dracula, um, who Very is woman, yeah. betrothed to. What is her name in this time period? Elisabetta. Elisabetta. Elisabetta, his um his, you know, life's love, his pursuit, um, who is waiting for him in Castle Dracula for when he returns from um his conquest against they're, they're, they're the, the Turks, right? Like yeah. the Turks are invading or something I, and needs yeah. to like fight I, them off. I, I do want to quickly say, I think it's, I said this to Becca when we watched the movie together. I said, the coolest thing ever is that this movie about Dracula, mostly set in uh, Victorian London, starts with 1462, Constantinople <laughs> has fallen. And I'm like, yeah, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> like it starts with like a it, it, brief it, history <laughs> lesson of the fall of Constantinople. And like the, the um, fact that he's like uh, a Christian crusader uh, yeah. to start off, I was, I was already kind of yeah. like the fall. Do you fa- think? Fallen Knight of Christ, basically, figure. I was hooting when, and hollering in that one. Yeah. Do you think anyone has ever told Ridley Scott that he should make a Dracula origin story? He should. Because I know that he would should. be the worst movie ever made, but that feels like the sort of dumb bullshit he'd do. That feels like a Ridley Scott movie. Yeah. I like he, that his next movie is he, just called Bomb. <laughs> if he did something like that, do you think it would be like just just the origins? Or do you think it'd be another like similar scope of this where like we're going to briefly talk about it and then it's back to Victorian so, era? Just London. to clarify... You're asking me if Ridley Scott would just tell a small portion of the story with the possibility that he would make sequels later if the movie did not bomb. So <laughs> just to clarify but, no, that's but, your question. But that but you're getting to the point of the question as well. Yeah. Because if Ridley Scott does make this movie, all I want him to stay in no, that's what Crusader I'm time. No, that's period. what I'm saying. Yeah. I, I see this as like Prometheus or Robin Hood, where Ridley yes. Scott's like, "Oh, this is the first part of a trilogy," and like, yeah. and like it bombs. But yes, he does just make the origin film that ends with Dracula renouncing Christ. Yes, it's the uh, I, I okay, can't there. We go. Spoke that into that, existence. Yep, we did. He should do it. It's out there. He should die. In the ether, he should die. Is what he should do. The um, wrong <laughs> Scott brother jumped off that bridge. Uh, <laughs> 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 okay speaking I of said, jumping off i of said the- i was gonna be good on this one I you like, were doing so great I was doing so well. you were doing so, so great okay. cole speaking of for the ju- first hour <laughs> speaking of jumping off of tall objects um so <laughs> dracula is he gets a notification that Elizabeth <laughs> that Elizabeth that a, a turk shot an arrow into the mm. castle um, that said on it, Dracula's dead, LOL. Um, and that she jumped from the tower in her grief and is dead. So he ri- I am going to switch seats with you. So he rides home as the score is just swelling, just, oh, <laughs> and he rides back to the castle and he screams over her body in his flesh armor. Mm-hmm. Um, and somewhere while- George Lucas is like, Hmm. Hmm. I have an idea. <laughs> I'm actually going to bring him up later. Okay. Because he actually, they had to reshoot the end of this movie because of him. Sure. Um, Wait, what? George, they, he's, always, he's always there. They had to reshoot the end of this movie Sophia because of George. Did you know Sophia Coppola is in The Phantom Menace? Yeah. She okay. got, she yeah. got nominated yeah. for a Razzie for it. Phantom Menace? Yeah. 
They, they, because, for Phantom Menace, yes. not really. Yeah, she got nominated for Phantom Menace because they're like, her performance in Godfather 3 was so bad, we're going <laughs> to nominate her again. That's great. I fucking hate she, her. P- she plays one of the handmaidens. Can I, can I say this? Yeah. I know that this movie was a big hit. Yes. I know this movie got a bunch of, won some Oscars. I know it was generally very well liked yeah. with a few exceptions. I am a little shocked that it got zero rising nominations, given that the exceptions to the criticism, the the like positive criticism are... Razzie fucking bait, oh, right? Oh, yeah. Like that is the sort of thing the Razzies would go for. Yeah, is what Jeff's about to talk this, about. This has the big energy of movie that gets nominated for ten Oscars and, and four two, Razzies. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, Basically, I'm surprised that Keanu and Winona were not nominated for the Razzies. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay, so he rides back and he screams into the air and he renounces Christ and he stabs the the crucifix and blood starts pouring out. So this is, we, we were kind of touching on this Jeff while you stepped away, yeah. but I was talking about how in the novel Dracula's more of like a monster pretending to be a human. Yeah. The whole like satanic, like I've renounced Christ and that's why I'm this creature is I don't believe a thing in the book. Yeah. Oh. Right. That like the, that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Why I would not be in the book. That, that This idea that it's almost like, you know, Puritan era ideas of witchcraft. Yeah. That you right. like give yourself to Satan and become this like monstrous creature yeah. that preys on yeah. good Christian folk. Right. Is which is why I, I think I think this this movie is so interesting in in its titling of Bram Stoker's Dracula, right? Because right. that implicitly promises like a more faithful adaptation. And there's a bunch of shit in this movie that is like lifted straight from the book that does not make it into most adaptations, yeah. mm-hmm. but like incidental details and stuff and like plot beats, but bigger picture conceptually, this is a very faithless interpretation of Dracula, the character. Yeah. Yeah. Which is much more almost in line with the Christopher Lee. Yeah. Take a Dracula and Lestat in a lot of ways, right? Yeah. That like he's, Who's the writer again? He's he's a bad screenwriter. I was looking at his other oh, credits. Um, um, James Hart. Yeah, he wrote the worst movie ever made right before writing this. Um, are you? What's, oh, what's the worst? Are you movie? referring to Hook? I'm referring to Hook. Oh, um, fuck off. that movie's awful. Okay, it's you know what's funny awful. about? Can I be on that? Ep- no. Nope. You know what's <laughs> funny? Okay. Okay. Sorry. Wait. I need to talk about this man's career right <laughs> I know, now. It's I'm gonna just it's sir, I'm gonna just hit you with what it's James insane. Hart has written. I'm only going to read off the big ones. Stuart, I'm so, Stuart, you're not prepared for what the fourth or fifth one of these is going to be. All right. It's, um, he wrote Hook, Ugh. Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yay. He then produces Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. He Which then is writes. Knockoff of this. Yeah. He then writes Muppet Treasure Island. Yep. <laughs> then he writes Contact. He writes. Uh, Jesus Christ wrote Contact. Let's be very clear. That's a WJ arbitration. He writes Tuck Everlasting. He then um, writes a treatment for Lara Croft Tomb Raider, which he gets taken. He does not get screenplay credit for. But when they go back and they make a sequel, Lara Croft Tomb Raider, the the Cradle of Life, he gets credited for writing that one, even though he didn't write it. (laughs) (laughs) He then writes Sahara. August Rush, Epic, um, and then The Last Voyage of the Demeter. Well... He gets a off-screen additional literary material. But credit. I don't think he's credited in the credits. I'm not... I don't remember he, that. It's he, a weird one. That's a weird... Yeah. It's just really weird career. The Muppet Treasure Island Epic of it all man. throws me off. Epic is... 
one of the weirdest movies I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> it's it's not good. It's about like a twig, right? Okay. The thing, <laughs> the thing about Epic is like, it has been months since I watched Epic and since we recorded that episode, though I think it came, went out last week as you're hearing this, listeners. Um, I still don't understand if the protagonist of Epic is meant to be a literal leaf or not. Because he looks like a person, but the dialogue indicates that I'm meant to think that this is like a leaf you would find on a tree. Hmm. Who's like sentient. Weird movie. Weird movie. Stuart, this is this is the epic we are referring to. Um, it's about people who live. Ah, yeah. Because everyone, everyone in that movie is tiny and most of them are either like small forest animals or like sentient pebbles. Oh. Right? Sentient like blades of grass. Yeah. And then there's this like race of like tiny humans who live there and they keep calling them leaves. And I'm like, is it a metaphor? Or, right. or is it just <laughs> like they didn't want to animate all the protagonists as <laughs> leaves? <laughs> So Dracula, he renounces the Christian God. Yep. I think it's very telling. I don't think he ever says Satan or like specifically no. refers to the concept of Satan. Right. It's just a renunciation of yeah. the Christian God. Yeah. Um, and then he drinks the blood. He becomes a vampire. The title card pops up. Just this like incredible, like written, like carved into stone. It's, it's not an optical effect, right? Yeah. Like that's part of it is that you're looking at this and you're so used to seeing title cards that are like designed in post-production, mm -hmm. but this is like a literal physical object yeah, that you can that like, they to make. you can see that they are lighting with torchlight, right? That you can yeah. like yeah. see the shading on it. It's such a declaration of purpose of yeah. this movie, mm -hmm. even if it kind of looks ugly. Mm -hmm. um, it's cool. Yeah, it's so cool. I think then it's just, it's Renfield, right? Renfield's the next thing is we jump like a, Yes. 500 years in the future. Yes. Yeah, so because so every adaptation of Dracula is like, what do we do with Renfield? Because he's like so weirdly superfluous to the plot, but is like essential one of the most to the iconic things. So every adaptation of Re Dracula, like and like there are there are movies about Dracula. There are adaptations of the novel. Right. Those are two different things. We're talking about adaptations of the novel. They always like want to try to make Renfield more. um like connected to the Harkers in some way. Mm -hmm. So in this case, which is not true in the novel, he is like Jonathan's boss or the previous, the he's, previous, the, he's the previous lawyer who was handling Dracula's affairs, yeah. who has now gone crazy and Jonathan needs to take over the yes. account of, which is not what happens in the novel. The, mm. He's just a guy Dracula met at one point. It, in the novel. It's kind of a smart way to play around it. Cause if, if this movie is very interested in Dracula, uh, like grand scheme to get Mina. Yes, it is smart that he's like, I will find a person who works at this law firm. But he doesn't know that yet. He doesn't. He, he doesn't know that yet. He. I thought he was under the. I thought he was aware that. No, Mina, I think. I think he. He's just looking for people, and he. He doesn't clock it till he sees her. Okay. Because this That's whole thing. How I interpret. Yeah. His okay. whole. His whole game changes when he sees Mina. Right. Okay. Like he is because he's fucking Lucy. So wait, yeah. what was Renfield's whole plan with Dracula? Just to get people. Literally, yeah. I think it's. I think it's just because in in the novel, it's just like th this creature has fed on Transylvania enough, and he wants to just come to London. Yeah. Okay. And where where there are good Christians, he can he can feed, feed on, on, right? Yeah. Um. And it's literally just that he's just hired the Harkers to like buy the land, right? So he can like mm. be prepared to relocate to London. Okay. Um, Mina's I, not a part of his plan yet. No, in the novel, Mina only matters to the plan in that she is like a tool. Mm -hmm. he can use to get at the like 
the fucking Scooby gang. So the the Elizabeth the Elizabeth thing is an invention of this movie. The Elizabeth okay. thing is an invention of this cool. movie. Oh, okay. I mean, there oh, may okay. be. I am sure there is a Dracula film or yeah. story with a in similar the hundred years between the novel and this movie that has a similar idea. Yeah, it is not unless I am missing something or misremembering the ending. Uh, a part of the novel. But we meet Renfield, played by Tom Waits, just like an incredible choice. This is our second Tom well, Waits discussion. Um, Tom Waits, not really an actor, mm-hmm. acts a fair amount, not necessarily most iconic for this, but Coppola is the director he works with the most. Yeah. It's the only guy he's ever really liked to worked with twice, well, except for Jarmusch. Yeah. Um, but he's been in like five or six Coppola movies over the years. We love him. We love him. Yeah. He's great. I um we were talking about this when we did our Night on Earth episode because Tom Waits does all the inter the inner songs yeah. for that movie. Um and it's just like it's just so funny. Um but I, I watched uh, Licorice Pizza again recently. Just like Is one of the great fucking and holding. I th- I think about him and Licorice Pizza like it's like him and Licorice Pizza and David Lynch and the Fablemans are the two guys mm-hmm. as like directors in a movie from recent years that I just like one of those recite the lines in my head. One of those performances is good. One of those performances is bad. Both are great. Um, Which one's bad? Lynch is bad. No, no. Um, <laughs> where's the horizon? <laughs> it's sad, <though. laughs> anyway. Um, Ren- Renfield is just like my master's coming. Yes, he's coming, and you're not ready. He's in an as- asylum. Can I say? I love Tom Waits. Given how much this topic is a minefield for this movie, his accent's not good either. Yeah. And he doesn't get any shit for his accent. <laughs> I'm just going to put that out he's there. at least really funny. I mean, he's great. He's so good. He's in it a lot. He's in it more than you'd think he would yes. be, too, given that he never leaves the one room. Yeah, but you just keep coming back to that one room. And he kind of has a whole arc where he turns against Dracula at the end. Yeah, that doesn't really add up too much. Yeah. I kind of think the script is a bit of a mess. It's a mess, um, but Co- the way Coppola just yes. kind of like charms his whole I, way through it. I, I was not surprised to see that this guy is mostly like a hack who wrote one of the worst movies I've ever seen yeah. in my life. Um, which again is Hook, which is a <laughs> terrible movie. Just the, one of the worst things ever. <laughs> trying to provoke him. <laughs> I'm not. I just want to get that on the record that Hook is like, should have ended Steven Spielberg's mm-hmm. career. Like nothing Steven Spielberg has done since has made up for how good, how bad Hook is. And that man made the post. He did make the post, which is he made great. the fucking post. Right, but now I'm we not engaging. I'm sorry, but we do have to talk about it now. Okay, because the next scene we cut to is sir. What do you have pulled up? Nothing. Keep going. <laughs> we do have is that hook fan fiction. <laughs> <laughs> because the next thing that happens is we go. We cut to a train car. Yes. Um, where we meet Keanu Reeves playing Jonathan Harker, who is riding his way to uh, Castle Dracula. Um, and we get the first Keanu narration, which I presume is pulled right from the book. It's ish. Well, it's just so much more fucking verbose in the yeah. book. Is the <laughs> and, it's, and it's just like, Darling, thinking of Mina tonight. And so the question I have to ask, Stuart Cole, mm-hmm. Keanu. Yes. That's the question. That's not a question. <laughs> That's the question. That's not a question. Hi, Stuart. <laughs> what, 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 what do we think of Keanu in this what movie? What do we think of Keanu in this movie? Okay. Um, I, I mean, he says it himself in future interviews that he didn't like his performance in this movie. So, like, I'm inclined to agree with him. 
Keanu Reeves is one of is, my favorite actors. Okay. But. Of all time. But. And, you know, I. You got to finish the sentence, Carl. Uh, it's several sentences. Yeah. It's a run off. Let me just give you a yeah. Keanu Reeves has been one of my favorite actors of all time for a long time. Like, well before the, like, Keanu comeback that yeah. has, like, defined the past 10 years, right? A respectable like, position, by the way. I liked Keanu when it was not cool to like Keanu. Uh, so I spent a lot of time defending the Keanu uh-huh. thing. And eventually when you're defending Keanu, some asshole brings up this movie. <laughs> and I think for a long time, I still tried to like tie myself in knots to, to defend this performance. He's, he's bad in this movie. It's well, a bad performance. You didn't finish the full sentence. What's the full sentence? Which is Keanu is among a lot of people's favorite actors. Yes. Of course. But he's a bad actor. No, like, he's an that, incredible actor. No, he's not. Have like, you seen Speed? Yes. I rest my case. <laughs> no, like I like. Listen, could you do that? I'm sure. Like no, any Tom Cruise could have done that. Tom, like, like, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I, oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. You're you're just saying that like oh Keanu's not a good actor because he gives performances on the level of the most talented person to ever be captured on camera. Can, can I say one of the greatest no, actors of all time? Here's what I'm saying. Like, like, like I think Hook is not a bad movie. You're you can wrong. you can you can and but I could still enjoy it. You can think that Keanu is one of your favorite actors, but we just we do have to Wait. acknowledge that he he ain't my the- own private Idaho. Cool. Can I quickly say something? Sure. So Stuart doesn't think Keanu is a good actor. Doesn't like him in this movie. Oh correct? God. Oh listen, no. no. Oh no. Listen. 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 I. 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 I'm not like. This do you think a, he's good in this? This movie? isn't a hill I'm willing to die on. Like I can be convinced, yeah. but just from all what hills I, should be ones you're willing to die on. That's how you properly record a podcast. <laughs> but I will you just, just pick say, an opinion like, and defend it. His, I wasn't. He, I did not care much for his screen time in this okay. movie. As so, okay. for so, so Stewart doesn't think Keanu's a good actor. Dislikes him in this movie. Cole thinks Keanu's a great actor. Dislikes him in this movie. Jeff. Likes Keanu as an actor and likes Keanu in this movie. But you're wrong. (laughs) I'm going to defend what Keanu's doing here. What is going on? What is happening? I like, um, I think, I don't. Have you seen Something's Gotta Give? No. See, this is the problem. (laughs) But but I've seen The Day the Earth Stood Still. (laughs) I haven't seen The Day the Earth Stood Still. Have you seen fucking John Wick 2? Yes. Have you, Have you seen thinking, John Wick 3? Yeah, he's really fucking good in John Wick 3. Yeah, I'm thinking I'm back. Like That's it's, John it's, Wick 1, and he's great in John no, Wick 1. No, it's John Wick 3. It's John Wick 1. It's John Wick 1. No, where's the one where he f- gets shot off the fucking hotel? That's John Wick that's 3. three. Yeah, and he says the same Does thing. Does he say it again? No. No, 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 no. no, 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 no. He, he, Lawrence Fishburne's like, you pissed, John? He's like, yeah. That's it. That's the John Wick. He's oh, great. Right. Okay, sorry. Okay. Have okay. you seen Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? Yeah. Have you seen Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey? It's in the Matrix no. Resurrection. Have you seen Bill and Ted face the music? Have no. you seen Freaked? Yes. He's so good in Freaked. I you don't deny that Keon, I like listen. Have you seen Manatai Chi, his directorial debut? I, I he's incredible in. I, I don't tell people to not like Keanu because he's a bad actor. Because I understand like well, there's a lot of actors who aren't <laughs> particularly good actors, but they just have that amazing screen appeal. Mm-hmm. 
I would love to have a beer with Keanu yeah. with with Keanu or literally go watch one of his movies with him and he talk about his experiences. Yeah. Like I bet those are all great experiences. But if I were to like think of if I had a script in front of me and I had to cast like a leading man for like a Dracula role, yeah. I'm sorry, but they should have casted Johnny Depp, which they almost did. I would walk off a fucking bridge. <laughs> if I would, if if Johnny Depp circa nineteen ninety two was in this movie, this movie is demonstrably worse. No, it's not because he's no, annoying. Keanu's kind of ignorable. No. Can I? Depp de- would be fucking. Can I defend sweet. Keanu in this movie? <sighs> yes. Okay. So here's the thing. I'm not quite convinced Keanu is intentionally good in this movie, but I do see. This think is what I used to say. He's good because if this. If this movie is so much centered on the Mina, Elisabetta, um, and Dracula relationship, Jonathan Harker is basically presented in this movie as, like, the ultimate cuck. Yes, <laughs> just about to say that. No, this is, this, Jesus yeah, this Christ. Is, this is what I used to say yeah. about this movie. And he is playing the ultimate cuck. And yeah. He's kind of giving the best cuck performance ever put to screen. No, <laughs> like, he's not. Because Richard E. Grant... He's is in this movie. movie. <laughs> You're right. He is giving the better cuck performance. What if Richard E. Grant plays Har- Jonathan Harker? Harker? If Richard E. Grant plays Jonathan Harker, I think it's better, but I still think I like what Keanu's doing yeah. here. I agree. He's, I not, agree he's cool. not doing anything. That's the problem. He is, he is adrift it's, in this movie. He doesn't have a take on the character. He has an attempted take on the accent. I, and Coppola himself said this was like Coppola said, like He needed I a love, heartthrob. I love Keanu. Well, no, he said that, but he also said, like, I loved Keanu. I loved working with Keanu. He's he's a great actor, but he was so concerned with the accent that like it's he never things. loosened up. Yeah. And there's nothing and he never he, well, he, he was so concerned with the accent that he never started acting. Mm. And and Coppola said that in the concept that, that was my fault. Because that's my job to like yeah. fix that. But like there's I know Jonathan Harker like sucks as a character and is boring. That's also very true. But how do you make that character interesting? I mean, Richard E. Grant. Richard E. Grant. Okay, Becca. So, folks, I'm now. I'm gonna come here. I'm I'm bringing <laughs> oh, in an God. impartial opinion. Um, I know what she's former say. guest of the show. Uh, Becca is gonna tune in. Is I have two questions for you. Is Keanu Reeves a good actor? And is Keanu Reeves a good in Bram Stoker's Dracula? Take it away. Yes and no. Thank you. All right, thank you. Thank you. That's all I needed. That was the, that was the Do you have anything answer. else you want to add to it? Or um, okay, that was all the right, correct answer, Becca. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, mine was yes and yes. Stewart's no and no. Cole is yes and no. You guys Let's are go, baby. Becca. I just before you go, <laughs> I I wanted to clarify. Like I think Keanu Reeves is a bad actor in the same way. Um, I'm trying to think like in the same way I don't know any like actor who's likable but not talented what does that mean I, I'm I'm trying to think yeah name name well someone. like there's like like the went to acting school at Juilliard and like did Shakespeare Richard the third actor and then there's actors that they're not really like a trained like thespian like actor but you just like them but why is one better than the other i'm not saying i'm but no, you no, are no, saying no, that. no 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 it's not what i'm saying i'm not saying one's better than the other i'm just saying like he's not a good actor he is a good actor no he's not a good actor. he is people I, I, dislike him he's in a narrow alley of acting. why yeah. do people like him 
Because he's a cool dude. How do you know he's a cool dude? You don't. You ever met him? You don't. So what, 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 what's giving you that, that perception? It's not my perception. It is your it's perception. It's how everybody else perceives him. How do you, but why do they think that? Just the movies he's in. What what okay, about those okay, movies no, no, no. gives oh, people that perception? Because okay, okay, okay. he's cool in Because no, no, no. he's, he's a cool, good actor. He's cool he's, in them. So you pay people like the acting that he's doing so, on screen. Uh, here, here's one. And, and I have to very preface this because I'm, I'm sitting next to a special Stallone fan here. What Stallone f- is mm, an so, okay actor. Okay, but why do people like him before some of his later, later Because of the good performances he gives. Good performances? It is that he's cool in the movie. They like like the good performances. They like Rocky, and they like the first Rambo, and they're willing to tolerate the annoying bullshit that he does. Also, to be clear, Stallone is a good actor who doesn't understand why he's a good actor and frequently gets in his own way. Like, that's Stallone's problem, is that... Stallone is one kind of good actor and he wants to be a second kind of good actor and the kind of good actor he wants to be, he's not good at being. Like, Stallone should never be in conversation with Arnold Schwarzenegger, who is a better actor at that thing. Stallone is great in Rocky and Creed. And Rambo 1. And Rambo 1. Yeah. And Copland? Yeah, I don't like Copland, but he's good in Copland. Yeah, like he's good playing low status. Yeah, he's good. He is a good, like, actor, like, Dramatic leading and in, I right? I would argue the same thing for He's a Keanu. Bad I would say lead. Keanu's good at very certain things, but not good at others. And like Dracula, he's not good at this. But but he's well. Here's here's the thing that everyone dodges when they're talking about Keanu being bad in this. Because a, a thing people often say is, well, it's just bad casting, right? Like, yeah. what are you expecting? He's not in the movie much. He is good in Dangerous Liaisons, which is also a like costume drama. Mm-hmm. From like six years earlier, uh, a Stephen Frears movie. Like yeah. he's good in Dangerous Liaisons. Now is he the lead of Dangerous Liaisons? I mean, he's not the lead of this, but like that is that character yeah. is ostensibly the lead, right? Mm. But like, here's the thing: everything you could point at towards like, well, Keanu's just miscast in this movie. I think you can also point at Winona, and Winona did get a lot of that shit when this movie came out, which I think is undeserved. Mm-hmm. Um, but like. Casting is casting is casting. Like Keanu Reeves does, in fact, have range. Can, yeah. can handle a lot of stuff. The problem here is that he doesn't have a take on the character. So as an actor, he's not doing what he needs to be doing as an actor. It's not that they just like slotted the Keanu Reeves persona incorrectly into this movie. It is, in fact, that he is not doing the work he needs to do because he is a good actor and I'm expecting well, him to be good Here's in this the thing movie. is, I think, I, I would argue he's not miscast in this movie. I actually, I, think, I kind of agree. I think Coppola wants you to spend this first like 20-ish minutes of this movie kind of trapped with the most boring guy ever, being haunted by the most interesting guy ever. And then they're quickly going to get rid of the boring guy for an hour and send the interesting guy to London to hang out with the love interest, the, the, the prob- protagonist the, the of the, the movie. The problem is that there is, in fact, interesting, boring, and boring, boring. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 kind of and I do I think at the that. end of the day, yeah. for instance, I will say this, Winona is doing interesting, boring in this movie. Winona is playing a boring character. This is my, um, you know, he just passed away recently, but um, have you guys seen Barry Lyndon? 
Yes. Yeah. I get I get into arguments with a lot of people because this is another case of like contentious lead after casting, mm-hmm. right? In Barry Lyndon, Ryan O'Neill, right? And when people defend the disastrous Ryan O'Neill performance in Barry Lyndon, they often like to say, well, he's supposed to be like a boring pill. And what I always say when people say that is, A, no, he's not. Literally, that is not yeah. what that character is. And B, I have seen Ryan O'Neill give the good version of that performance. Mm-hmm. Because that is what Ryan O'Neill is doing in What's Up, Doc, which is an extraordinary performance where he's playing this like dumb, irritating drip that you're kind of sick of. Yeah. And then you watch him in Barry Lyndon and he's wooden and bad and like lost. And I think like that's the distinction between what Winona is doing in this and what Keon is doing in this. Yeah. They're both supposed to be playing like drab Victorian, like nobodies, yeah. right? Like middle-class yeah. functionaries. But Winona has a take on what that means. And Keanu, I think does not doesn't because he's so adri- he again, Coppola said it. He is putting all his effort into trying to get the accent. Yeah. And I honestly don't even think the accent is as bad as people say it is. It's, mm-hmm. it's that the performance is bad. I didn't think the accent was actually that bad. It, there is a tab on the Wikipedia page about the accent. That oh. is like how widely reviled oh my the god. accent is. It is like, it like bad. Cons- it's, oh my god. <laughs> Reception, critical response. Reeves's performance. performance. Yeah. <laughs> like, like this is like, I feel like the like consensus first ballot Hall of Famer bad British accent in a movie. Well, listen, we we covered a whole season of John Travolta I know. and an episode where he tries to put on a British accent. Oh my God, you, which one? Uh, Basement's the dumb Basement's waiter. The oh, dumb he waiter. does. You guys but, were so disrespectful. Oh, we that, just we just robbed the bank, guy. Eh? Can like, I just say that you guys were so disrespectful to the dumb waiter? Cool. I don't think so. You just like, poo pooed it out of hand as if it's not based on one of like the greatest the, plays the of the thing, 20th century. The problem with that movie is that the only way we could watch it was in like 240p and it was borderline unhearable. I just, I just need I just need to like defend like you guys walked into the, that you see, the start of the episode you're like this is some dumb bullshit that we don't want to cover and I'm sitting here being like this is like one of the most important and like great works of theater of the 20th century. Like even if the adaptation, <laughs> even if the adaptation is bad, you guys need to like understand like the import of this text of the play. Hi, hi Stewart. Is that, is that President Bill Clinton? <laughs> former president. Former also president. a vampire. <laughs> All right, we um, got we got to go. We got to. So go. he gets to Castle Dracula. After this incredible train sequence with all these, I like, love the train sequence. Like the eyes of Dracula out the window as he mentions him in so, the text. Can I tell you something, Stuart? Yeah. That shot right at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Where there's the book. Yeah. And then the train. Yeah. Driving over. Uh huh. Do you know what you're actually looking at? You are looking at a model train on top of a giant book that they built. No. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like it's like a it's like a. Per, it, 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 I think there is some perspective stuff shot, but I believe yeah. that like it is a massive book. Um, oh, the the cool. book is like yay, massive. yay big, so they could lay the train on top of it, um, oh, and then so there's cool. literally just like a lighting trick to like make the train fade and in. Trains in oh, silhouette, that's so cool. Yeah. it's like it. that. I love all the transitions. It's, it's like, like that shot from yeah. Lord of the Rings where you always see that massive ring, <laughs> yeah. so they could get the reflections in it. Have yeah. you ever seen Detour? The Mm-mm. Edward G. L. No. Oh, there's a there's like a weird like forced perspective shot in that movie of like a guy sitting in a diner and like 
the coffee cup is like exaggeratedly large in the foreground because it's a forced perspective yeah. shot, but it's actually not a forced perspective shot. They just built a giant coffee cup mm-hmm. oh, to yeah. make it look like a weird forced perspective <laughs> shot. <laughs> To the it's point so of Christopher cool. Reeves' performance, there's something Keanu. that I wanted to say He's about Christopher Reeves. Keanu Reeves' performance. Rest, an actor who is good in many of the ways that Keanu is good, though. At what he's good at. At a lot of things. Mm, limited things. But mostly knowing the instrument. Keanu knows his instrument. It's an instrument with a couple notes. And it has a wine ring. Oh, listen, Stuart, listen. Stuart, when Stuart, it, when it, Stuart, Stuart when there are s- only eight <laughs> notes. There are only eight notes. If you want, if you want to take this, Folk, music, no, I, need I, you, I need you to pause for one second. <laughs> okay. I need you to pause for one second. Um, former guest of the show, Mark Tilly, tuning in. Uh, Mark, I have two questions for you. Okay, here, here they are. Is Keanu Reeves a good actor, and is he good in Bram Stoker's Dracula? I'm fine. I, I've not seen Bram Stoker's Dracula, but he's a fantastic actor. He's never been bad. I can't imagine him being bad in anything. Okay, this is what we needed from you. Um, well, that doesn't actually. First of all, it's not a tie, to be clear, because you brought in the tiebreaker and she weighed in. So, yeah. like, one of us is, in fact, winning this argument. And secondly, that doesn't answer the pertinent question here. Mark, thank you for your service. Yeah. All right. <laughs> My point I was going to make is, like, I love the train scene because, like, it it is essentially, like, he's on a train ride to hell, mm-hmm. basically, which is great. But the scene could have been even more elevated if at in the words you even said, Cole Bradley, a good boring performance. Yes. No, he's bad in this movie. <laughs> yeah, it, it it would have been even better to know it's like this clueless, dumb, like just totally self absorbed guy has no idea that he's entering into hell. But I don't read yeah. that from Keanu no, in he, that a hundred percent. Yeah, like, no, I'm I'm fully on board with he is really bad in this movie. Like, yeah, I like I'm I'm literally just like having the thought like. The, the good version of this performance is like... Is we're awing in the beauty of Mark, the shot. Mark Hamill in the Star Wars trilogy. Right? Like, kind of playing an annoying drift. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you can do that well is the point I'm mm-hmm. making, Jeffrey. Yes. Um, <laughs> I'm mostly in agreement with you about Keanu. <laughs> do you think this performance is good? Yeah, Keanu. Okay, there's one other thing I just want to touch on while we're talking about Keanu. And it, do, it, it, it technically pops up later, but... The wig. Yeah. <laughs> Can we bring back the hair ranking? I don't have the music with Start me. Start a new list and just put Keanu in this movie in last place. Because <laughs> 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 it is like the worst wig I've ever seen. Well, yeah. okay. I think we should have a segment. Yes. Because, Cole, you're guesting on four Winonas. Yes, I am. And they are the four Keanu Reeves movies. This is true. Whoa. Was that intentional? Kind of. Okay. He already wanted to cover two so of let, them. So let me, let me get this out because I, I, I th- she has worked with Keanu Reeves four times. Yes. And it is like the, weirdly like the primary like collaboration mm-hmm. I think she's had. Even yeah. if a lot of people don't think of it that way because three of those movies are very obscure. Sure. I, I, I do want to actually address this because... I don't want it to come across as I think you guys picked the wrong person to do a show about. I actually think that that I'm picking the other actor, right? I think Winona is a great topic and a really interesting topic. What it really came down to is I always want to be on – my gut instinct is always to go for the best movie. 
And so when Jeff said Winona Ryder, I kind of threw out three titles. And he said one of them was taken. And then I was like, and then the other two, I kind of realized after throwing them out, I was like, oh, Keanu's in both of those. And then I was like, I also really like Destination Wedding. Maybe I want to just like complete the hat trick and do the three Keanu's. And then like a few months ago, Jeff's like, did you know there's a fourth Keanu collaboration? <laughs> and I'm like, well, which <laughs> <laughs> <You> is <got> <laughs> like Cole's going to be on the well, private life of I, Pippa. I've Pip- never seen that movie, <laughs> but Pippa I guess P. I'm doing it because I love a bit. It's the fourth one. We're getting Pippa Lee pill. Private life of Pippa Lee. Uh, and okay. then they did Destination Wedding a few years ago, which okay. is an insane movie. Wait, what's the second one, though, after this? Scanner Darkly. What? Scanner Darkly. Oh, okay. Which is, that's more of a Keanu movie that she, like, pops up in. Okay, okay. Um, Whereas this, this, Destination Wedding is a straight-up two-hander. I have no fucking idea about Pippa Lee. But Um, I'm saying, while we have, we know that you're going to be on the four Keanus. I am going to be on the four Keanus. We should have the Keanu hair ranking. Oh, fuck. For the four of them. That's going to be complicated. (laughs) (laughs) Or entered. (laughs) So I, wait, I get to do this. I get to do this. This yeah. is my you get list. To do it. This is going to be complicated when we get to a Scatter Darkly for for plot reasons in a Scatter Darkly. Actually, um, music was so fucking good. good. <laughs> Did you plan that? I had that saved for a while. <laughs> That's the new Keanu I mean, okay, yeah, This is last place. Okay. Okay. Um, and I. It's also first place as of now. Nope. <laughs> Philosophically, I'm thinking of his last. Well, now my question, my my thought is, is that, you know, Stuart, you have in the past, I think, if there's like two hairstyles, you've split them up, right? Yes. Oh, the categories and ranking them. Yeah. Yeah. There's a sexiness in the storytelling. No, but I mean, like, if someone has like a dramatic hair change, <laughs> like you gave two ratings movie. for Swordfish, yeah, because like he has the, the long hair. Oh, yes. And I don't necessarily know that I want to do that for this, even though Keanu does have two distinct hairstyles in this movie. Well, because we all know... Because the second one's so bad. The first place pick of the Travolting Hair ranking was the biker was, flashback no, of Life on the it Line. Was, it was taking a poem, one, two, three. No. We talked about this. And was it? it was taking a poem, The list got published already, Cole, so I don't know what you're even talking about. Jeff, I need you to issue a correction. <laughs> <laughs> um, Retraction. All no, right. last place... All right, guys. Boots coming down. We got to talk about the movie. <laughs> boots coming down. Okay. Boots coming down. So we now we're actually going to introduce Dracula. <laughs> so I don't. Start. I don't have to leave for three hours. So uh, I have a heart out at two thirty. Oh well, we're so. fucked. Okay. Yeah. But he gets to Castle Dracula. Um, we where, just finished the episode without you. I can. I can hit the off button. Where he enters. Um, <laughs> where he enters. Keanu gets to the castle, and we have this great like section where there's like all this supernatural energy around him. Mm-hmm. The wolves are all following his cart. There's like a ghostly conductor whose cool. arm is extended. Cool. It's so cool. fucking cool. Cool. Um, he passes through like a ring of fire cool. to enter the castle. It's all great. He gets there and he enters through the front door, and that's freely when and we, of his own will. Freely and of his own will, and that's when we finally are introduced to Dracula. Dracula. Yes, I don't. I don't. Who's old? Um, as hell. Played by Gary Oldman, old as hell. In probably that's this is probably the most iconic design of this movie is what Dracula old, looks like. Old Dracula in particular. Yeah, yes. and it's funny because he really isn't in that look for that much no. of the movie. Um, I mean, I think in general the like opening chunk of Dracula is the most iconic yes. part of Dracula. It's the only fucking thing anyone remembers from the Todd Browning. Movie. Uh, like, the, like this Dracula look isn't even on the. I mean, it is on the poster, but it's, it's like on, it's like there. Yeah, <laughs> it's but that's the, a later poster, I think. Yeah. 
I I thought this when I was watching this late last night that if this was the entire movie, I it, I would like twelve out of ten because I just love the vibes. Yeah, I love the set. I love his costume. I love his look. You love Monica and, Bellucci. And I, Monica Bellucci. <laughs> and I love. I had another Monica Bellucci the, dream. Just the <laughs> the horror movie of like a banker fuck just roaming around in Dracula's castle no. while Gary Oldman's crawling yeah. on all fours. I was like, cool. give me three hours of that. Man, Oldman's having so, so much fun. Much Yes, in he, this movie. yes, but like no, I, it's okay that it goes to London and he becomes younger and a whole mean thing. Like that's fine, it's all good. But I could have taken three hours of just this. Yeah. The the two things I want to say about Oldman and three things actually. Oldman, are, Oldman. No, I want to say firstly that Gary Oldman's main incentive to do this movie. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Was he wanted to work with Coppola, and? but he also wanted to say the line, and "I've crossed, crossed oceans, oceans of time to find you." you. That's what I brought up. Yeah. Was the clip? I know you. I have crossed oceans of time to find one of the greatest line. You, you could tell too, because he just fucking makes yeah. some. But he apparently yeah. was so attracted by that line that it's a major incentive for him I, to be. I I totally get it. I would want to say that too, right? Mm. You yeah. you read that line and you're kind of like struck by it. Where is he in his career? Because it's. I feel like this, the one, two, three punch of this true romance the next year and Leon the professional the year after are like the real things that like kickstart his career. But obviously he is also in Sin and Nancy, but that's six years earlier. And yeah. I guess I don't have a good sense of what's going on between Sid and Nancy and him coming over to Hollywood. Well, mm-hmm. he he just gets off JFK the year before, where he plays oh, Lee fuck, Harvey Oswald. Of course he's in JFK. Where he's playing he's Lee Harvey good Oswald. in JFK, man. Um, Cole, if I told you what I'm doing for President's Day this year? What? I'm watching the Stone President's trilogy. I want to watch JFK. Can I, can I come over? You want to come over? Are, are, I want to watch all JFK, 12 Nixon, and W. Are you, um, oh, shit. I'm so sorry. Um, are you watching the director's cuts like a, like a big boy? Yes, because good. those are the only versions available in 4K. Yeah, they are. Um, Is that correct? Yeah. Okay, but uh, that's my plan. But so Oldman's so good in this movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he's incredible in this section, and Winona and him had some conflicts on set. Yeah. Gary Oldman was difficult to work yeah. with? Gary Appar- Oldman was difficult to work the, with? The story of this movie is that they got along incredibly well before production mm-hmm. and for the beginning of production, but that he's one of those guys who stays in, like, the... He like stays he, in he stayed in character as Dracula... For the for the whole day, and that that the second they started like getting into the meat of the production, she and him immediately had a one eighty flip, and that he, they just did not get along. I she like borderline didn't want to do scenes with him. I, I I feel like she also didn't get along with Daniel Day Lewis on Age of Innocence. Don't quote me on that. I just feel like I've heard that. Which is interesting because they work together again. In the Crucible. This is true. Maybe it's yeah. the Crucible where they didn't get along. Yeah, the Crucible. That would that, make sense. I've heard that. Yeah, about that's crucible. that's what I think I've heard. Yeah, um, is that she just thought he was an asshole on the set of the Crucible. Well, and mm-hmm. I I think this is going to be something that we're going to have to start sprinkling into our future episode conversations. Is that more and more word of Winona's difficulty comes into the fray? Now mm-hmm. I know that's because of external and yeah. different factors that we'll definitely talk about. Yeah. 
but it this is, is a big that, one for this movie. It, it's something that should be acknowledged that maybe not currently right now in this time period, but especially when we get to the late 90s, early 2000s. Yes, that's kind of more why. press about Winona. I hate to say not like divaness, but just like she could be difficult to work with. Yeah. That that will start coming in. It'll into, be a big thing we address. Which you yep. always want to kind of take with a grain of salt. Absolutely. When it comes to a woman. Absolutely. But certainly is part of her the narrative. And I think this is when it started to kick its heels up because, yeah. because of the Godfather thing. Yeah. And mm-hmm. the Godfather thing into this. Yeah. And then yeah. And like she had to and saying when she had she went to Coppola and was like, Hey, I'm sorry I had to leave this movie because I had a full like mental yeah. like breakdown. Like having to apologize how, for how that. old is she? She's like 20. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. the thing. You got to remember. Yeah. She's so young. And she's been doing movies since she was like 14. I know. Like, so oh, yeah. Like, the, the final thing I want to say about this this Dracula is that it's one of, it's such an iconic look. Oh my God. That yeah. the parody of it has be, itself yes, become an iconic I, look. I, I, yeah. I think you were also yeah. um, gone when I was talking about this, but like the, the, I just feel like so much of this movie is iconic into the parodies yeah. of that Simpsons parody yeah. of yeah. it also being like one of the more well-regarded Simpsons yeah. episodes. It's an incredible Trace of Horror um, I'm, a, I'm a huge Trace of Horror guy. I don't even think it's one of the better-regarded Trace of Horrors. I think mm-hmm. that is one of the better-regarded episodes, episodes of the general. show, period. And while we're in the cha- this chapter of the movie, there's the other thing that I feel like we have to really like talk about, because the entire movie has phenomenal in-camera, practical-like yes. effects and stuff, but you have to agree that where it is so concentrated... Is when he's in the castle. Yes, because well, because that's the the Dracula space, right? The, that's the tension of it, right? Is yeah. that like you were saying, descendant to hell, right? Transylvania is the hell space. Yeah, London is pure, and then when when it, the action moves to London, it becomes this like you weird know tension, mix. Yeah. weird mix of the two things, right? Yeah. And so that's where I think oh, I don't know if it was Coppola or somebody who said in an interview that like it's like Dracula's castle alters physics, yes. and that's where you get the shadows. The rat right on the, in the ceiling, ceiling. the shot. water dripping up, the shadows not quite matching. Uh, the the brides like fused together into yeah, one creature. Right. Like all these kind of things happening yeah. that just really, that's why I said I could have taken a three hour oh, yeah. drug trip, like 2001 Odyssey Aronofsky-esque like drug trip of a Dracula castle Which I'm surprised movie. no one's done. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe they yeah. have, and I missed it, but like, maybe it does feel like more of a layup than doing just the Demeter stuff. Yeah, yeah, right. Which I—that's why I'm really sad the Demeter was actually bad because, like, that's—I yeah. mean, like, it's yeah, a layup. It's a good layup. Yeah, the, the, like, of course, like, Ugh. no one's ever talked about Dracula sailing to London and like what happened on that fucking ship. It's alien on a boat. It's alien on a boat. <laughs> How do you fuck that up? Yeah. So, but to that point, Cole, like, I agree. Someone should do just like a yeah. concentrated I, I would be, horror I movie mean, in a Dracula castle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm sure someone has. There's been um, a lot of Dracula movies. And the the other big thing to talk about with this is the costume itself and oh, um, God. Iko, Iko yeah. Ishioka. Uh, a very, maybe the most deserving Oscar win in yes. any category Absolutely. ever. Fucking Who did she beat? Um, Do you have that up here? I can pull it up. It's the... 1993 Oscars for Because yeah, I, I know I there was some like fear that it might be like too genre or too weird uh, to win. When, when the she, she tops won. Enchanted April, okay. Howard's End, Malcolm X, and Toys. So, two of those are one of those is the Best Picture nominee. Like three of those are like acting nominees, right? Yeah. Like, 
and toys is toys. Um, this is a a very well deserved. Yeah, but like Ma- Malcolm X, Enchanted April, Howard's End. Good. Yeah. Co- I haven't seen Enchanted April, but like those are like what you'd expect to win this Oscar, and mm-hmm. that they are like very high scale period pictures. And the thing that's cool about the costumes of Malcolm about, X are really good. I am seeing Malcolm X for the first time next week. That's insane. Um, the thing then we're going right into Argyle. You're yeah. gonna lose your mind. The thing about Iko Ishioka is that. Her career, she has like a very interesting career yeah. where she's not really a film person. Yeah, she does movies. She did this Mishima. Um, she gets another Oscar nomination for Mirror Mirror. Great costumes. Mm-hmm. That movie looks great costumes. Uh, she also does Spider Man Turn Off the Dark. Yep, <laughs> which has yep. to be um, bad just, costumes. To be clear, um, weird. One day like someone it. will do a twenty episode podcast about Spider Man Turn Off the Dark. Um, anyway, so he. He starts getting seduced into Dracula's castle. He Dracula buys the land, all the Carthax Abbey, yeah. Carthax Abbey, Carthax Abbey in London, completing his purchase of like twelve different properties. Mm-hmm. Um, he insists that Harker stay for another month after he sees a picture of Mina and has a very emotional reaction to it um, because he realizes that Elizabeth has returned. It's an Aksunamun, uh, it's the Aksunamun style thing from the mummy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Very Dip. similar ideas. Do you like that? Do you like I that? I did pull? like that. <laughs> the Mummy is a perfectly fine movie. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I, I just, I, I. Did you clock that right away with the whole like? Because I was like, it, oh it, yeah, it feels like a, a Universal Monsters thing that they've. Yeah, I mean, even I mean, it, it is. It text, is. But reincarnated. You, are, you love. are right. I am sorry. I said like there is probably some version of Dracula that has done this before, but in fact, I do think the origin of this is the Boris Karloff Mummy. Yeah. Because yeah. that is a plot point in, in the, the, Boris the original Universal Monster Mummy movie. Yeah. Is that there's like some like reincarnated love stuff going on. Gotcha. Yeah, I believe. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. movie's not very good. But right. I'm, I'll watch it. Karloff's incredible in it. When When's he bad? Never, but that might be his best <laughs> performance. Um, so Jonathan is, you know, convinced to stay for another month. Um, he starts to, he starts quickly figuring out that there's perhaps vampiric activities happening in this castle when he sees Dracula climbing and, and, on the walls. And see, this, again, this is where the interesting, boring character would have elevated yes. this whole thing even more. You keep you keep talking like you're trying to win an argument with me. No, I, no, no, no. I'm, I'm aiming this yeah, at Jeff. Yeah. I'm aiming this Jeff. at Jeff. I like what are you doing? I like that he's just dundering around. Um being like, oh my god, there's a vampire. If it's, if it's 1992, who are we casting? Richard E. Grant. Yeah, and just, really, I really did fucking it. nail it, didn't I? Yeah. Who plays I in with Nail and I? Hold on, keep talking. Um, so we um eventually Jonathan is seduced by um the brides of Dracula by the brides of Dracula, um and is left essentially to be fed upon by them. While Dracula makes his escape to London, can I can I just quickly say? Yeah, uh, would. <laughs> yeah, I, I would. I would just stay there. I would let them eat me. Hundred <laughs> percent. Um, Dracula sails to England aboard the Demeter to London. Yep. Um, and bringing, it's like rebirthed as a younger man in yes. a very cool shot, and then also turns into a werewolf. And he brings the storm with him uh, to London. Yes, the werewolf stuff is very cool. Um, he clamber. I like that every time you played a clip, it's the exact same. The score is good in this movie. Um, 
The Annie Lennox song, maybe not. A little iffy. It's a little iffy. Yeah. Um, They bury it a little deep in the credits too. They like they know. I like that he gets to London and immediately just runs (laughs) right to Mina. No, he runs to Lucy. Yeah, he goes to Lucy first. Well, doesn't um, doesn't he think Mina's there? Isn't that the idea? I don't. I, I. It's unclear because it's also unclear in the book why he's like going straight for them. Yeah. Like it's, it's kind of it's one of those things where you're like, well, it's just what happens. Yeah. And so I'm like, I'm kind of zoning past the internal logic of it because it's just how the story needs yeah. to go. Um, we haven't talked about Lucy though. We haven't talked. We about haven't Lucy. talked about Lucy. Mina's best friend. Who? We haven't really talked about Mina yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Uh, uh, but he he bites Lucy. As a um, werewolf. Well, first he fucks her. Oh, that, yes. Okay, so that's the thing that's, I mean, uh, isn't the first one, certainly not going to be the last one, and probably also predated in not just Bram Stoker, but before Bram Stoker, the sexualized nature of vampires. Yes. That drinking somebody's blood. And again, you talked about something very interesting that like vampires are kind of more of this metaphorical allegory for unclean Easter European infiltrating yeah, and corrupting it's, the West. Yeah. And not only in like they're going to come over and rape the women, exactly. Right? Like, that's so, literally what Dracula does. Yeah, and so that's where it's like that. That fundamental sort of basis of that, I think, this movie really captures in a way that it's not just young Gary Oldman in a. I won't even say he's having sex with her, but he's at least like in like a penetrative like pose where it looks like he. He's having sex with her. She's fucking a wolf. Yeah, and that's the thing. <laughs> but that, but that's my ultimate point. My ultimate point is like it would have been one thing if he's like in his regular vampire no, form. No, that's. But it's not. It's the fact well, that he's in a grotesque werewolf form. I I think so. It just it means something extra on yeah. top of it that he's in his werewolf form I, doing I, that. I, and I think part of what's interesting about this movie in particular is this relationship to the sexuality because you know there's there's the sense in the book because right you know you've got these two women and mina is like purely devoted to the one suitor whereas lucy is like she's got like three flitting her way through three best friends yes right which is mm-hmm. also a plot point in the novel mm-hmm. but i think what this movie like not so much makes explicit as kind of just recapitulates this because I, I don't think it's the subtext in the novel that Lucy is just fucking all these guys. Yeah. Right. Um, but clearly in this one, I think the idea is that Lucy just wants to get laid and all these guys are too much like Victorian gentlemen to fuck her. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. she needs to get, she wants to get fucked by somebody mm-hmm. and Dracula will fuck her. And it's so like that desire is so intense. Like, you know, they, they're looking at that pornography earlier and there's that like very yeah. explicit idea of this pornography. They're looking at that. It is like bestial. Mm-hmm. Right. And like, but that's her desire, right? It's this pure base thing. So I don't even think she necessarily wants to fuck like sexy human Dracula. She wants to get ravaged by a beast. Yeah. Right, she wants to be violated. That's mm. that's sh- she in this movie is so much more a like willing and desiring participant in the vampirism yeah. because I think it's it's sating the sexual desire in her this, that this brings no up no one else will give her a good Winona quote about yeah. this movie from the the biography is that she when asked like what attracted her to the script and she says yes. first that she was attracted to it being an emotional love story yes um, but also that. Mina, you know, I'll just read the exact quote. Mina, like many women in the late 1800s, has a lot of repressed sexuality. Everything about women in that area, the way that corsets forced them to move, was indicative of repression. To express express passion was freakish. 
and that that's what she and Coppola both like kind of zoomed in on. This is a movie about the repression of sexuality mm-hmm. and the way that that explodes when you know after being forced down for so long. So there's this there's this thing I read in that David J. Skull book yeah. um, where he says that, which I thought was very interesting when he says where he says yeah. that like. In the novel Dracula, Mina is like intended to be read as a more like forward thinking, almost proto feminist figure. Whereas Lucy is like the perfect model of a Victorian gentlewoman, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Mm -hmm. But I think reading that book now, with just how cultural mores have changed, I think oftentimes people think of. Mina as the more like traditional woman because she's so just like this, mm-hmm. like cleanly devoted to her not. I think the reason why she's like meant to be read as more independent woman is because she's not trying to marry up in the book that she's like marrying right. for love, not for yeah. money. But yeah. I think now we see like Lucy is this woman who's like, you know, choosing between multiple men and never feeling like super devoted to one of them. And she reads almost as the more modern Mm -hmm. figure. And I think that this movie then that what in making Mina, the protagonist, I think they very wisely make it a story of Mina's sexual awakening down to there being no resolution to the like cracks that are formed in the relationship between her and Jonathan over the end that it, that it is ultimately about this, deeply repressed desire that she has to be sort of like coaxed into admitting to herself. Whereas yeah. Lucy is like, is that a werewolf? Get, yeah. Get <laughs> fucking nutting me right now, dude. Right. Like, well, that leads, that's a great transition to where I kind of want to get into, which is Gary Oldman, Dracula, uh, com- uh, uh, introducing, seducing Mina, yeah. like the yes. introduction and all that stuff, because which she needs to be seduced. Yeah. Lucy does not need to be seduced, right? Yeah. Lucy is there, in a right? Way. Because if the if we're talking about like Jonathan as like the ultimate cuck, um, it is like very telling that she's just like sitting around like God. He's just not coming back. He's yeah. just staying in Transylvania. What's going on? Um, who who plays Lucy? I'm uh, blanking on her name because she's Lucy. Is, this is. Probably her highest pro. I mean, she was Sadie Frost. Sadie Frost. Obviously, Sadie Frost worked a lot in like England after this, was briefly married to Jude Law. I just do think this is probably her highest pro- profile. Yeah, this is her I think she's profile performance. Fucking like, you do watch this, and you're like, why was she not a huge star? Yeah. Because every scene, you're just like, she's just like jolts of energy into this movie. Yeah. So Dracula kind of yeah. he posts up in Carfax Abbey. Yep. And he begins, you know, his seduction of Mina, who's initially very resistant to him. Very resistant. Yeah. Like, from from the sight of him on the street when he yeah. asks her for directions, she's like, go fuck yourself. And I love the idea that Drac- this movie, you know, in the original Browning Dracula, and I'm sure the novel, the idea when Dracula gets to London is, like, he's, he's just, like, this kind of specter that's floating yes. through his terror. I like that this movie kind of, like, He's out of time. He's a bit out of touch when he's there. He wants to go to the movies. Yeah, he wants to go to the movies. He's like, I want to see all these modern marvels. Yeah. And like Coppola uses those like vintage cameras and like the different frame rates of the um, like candid photography and just kind of creates this little section of the movie that's just all about like the way that time works on culture and trying to re-enter this world 300 years later after those oceans of time he's talking about, how difficult that would be for this guy. I, yeah. 
not to like have sympathy for Dracula, but I think the movie wants you to have sympathy it, for Dracula. It, it, if there's like the one like leap, I think this movie needs to take to like fully mm-hmm. like. I, I do think this is a great movie, but it's just a great movie just because it's just so sumptuous and just beautiful. Mm-hmm. But like on a on a screenplay level, there there is I think a a, a tension between that interpretation of Dracula and this interpretation of Mina and the the relationship yeah. and the much more faithful, like let's hit all the plot beats of the novel yeah. stuff that that script never even tries to reconcile. Yeah. And I don't necessarily know that Coppola is able to reconcile these yeah. two disparate halves mm-hmm. beyond that, just ending it very bluntly, which is a smart move. But mm-hmm. That it has to do, like, some of the Dracula beats. Yeah. Like, Mina are, the most going boring, to get married in Romania. Most boring parts of the movie are the, mm-hmm. like, the Scooby gangs getting together. Yeah. The, the Scooby <laughs> gang kind of sucks in this movie. As much yeah. as I love them as performers. Yeah. Like, Hopkins is great, great as Van Helsing. But Hopkins is great because he gets the, like, high camp of yeah. the whole text yeah. and is just leaning. Absolutely. Just fully leaning into the the the, the joke of it all. Yeah. And because he's, he's just the best. Mm. But the movie almost kind of you almost don't need Van Helsing in this you interpretation. You don't of Dracula. need Van Helsing in this interpretation of Dracula. He's no, superfluous. Yeah, I agree. Like I un like you were saying, like there's the, the two competing ideas. Yeah. And you I understand the impetus to have like a Van Helsing character to kill like you need someone who's gonna kill Dracula. But if you're just gonna make a romance story and it has to end with Dracula's death. You can just cut out the other guys and just have Jonathan do it. You definitely don't need Quincy and Seward. Yeah. Or I guess you need Seward. You don't need Quincy and Arthur, right? Mm -hmm. You can kind of collapse all three of Lucy's paramours into one guy because so much of the function of the two who aren't Seward is kind of irrelevant in a movie that is somewhat disinterested in the vampire hunting that takes up much yeah. of the back half of the novel. Yeah. Right. They're only interested. They serve a function there to emphasize the idea of the Lucy having three suitors. Yeah. Is, is important to this movie. The three suitors also being best friends, <laughs> like is not important to this movie the way it is important to the novel, because those characters matter more in the novel Beyond the relationship to Lucy than they does. Like, why is Carrie Elwes in this movie? Like, Arthur, no Arthur is such an unnecessary character in this film because the only one who matters to the plot of the film is Seward. Mm-hmm. And the other two guys are just there because they're in the novel. Yeah, if you collapse all of them into Seward, yeah. um, even collapse Van Helsing into Seward. Yeah. Because there's the whole point. And where, Grant, no one talks about how good Richard E. Grant yeah. in this movie. Because there's, the, there's the whole thing where he's like, I'm going to call my professor, Dr. Van Helsing, yes. to come and help. You could just have him. You know could the just yeah. Like, it, that's it's a just, very clean. That's just what happens in the book, right? Yeah. Like that, the, you're you're hitting these beats because this is ostensibly the faithful yeah. adaptation, even though it's not a faithful adaptation, which is the crazy thing yeah. about this movie. But even all that said, like Hopkins, and they're all so much fun in the movie they're, that you really well, don't mind. Elvis, He's doing his thing. The the, well, the problem is, the problem is, is that I don't necessarily like his thing mm-hmm. as a star persona. And I do feel like this is where you're starting to enshrine it because it really does feel like Carrie Elwes only ever played creeps and cucks. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that that's actually what he was good at because <laughs> he, they, they, cause he should have been like a dashing leading man. Yeah. Right. Like they briefly tried to make him a dashing leading man. And then somehow he just like collapsed into playing creeps and cucks. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to say, 
what movie it is because it's a spoiler. But there is a movie from the 90s that is a murder mystery. And I watched it, and the opening credits come up, and, you know, it's the 90s, right? So there's no movie before the opening credits. I'm watching this movie. You press play. Studio logos, then we're in an opening credit sequence. And Carrie Elwes's name popped up in the opening credits. No idea about the plot of this movie beyond the fact that it was a murder mystery. And I'm like, there's the killer. <laughs> and you'll never guess who the killer is in this movie. <laughs> Carrie Elwes. It's Carrie, Carrie Elwes. Elwes. <laughs> because, but that's... This was he. The man played Robin Hood. I know it was a parody, but he played Robin Hood and he played Wesley and the Princess Bride, right? And he's great at doing those. And for some reason, I think because he's just so next level handsome, they're like, "No, you're the guy who you're the fucking backstory to Jim Carrey movie. You're mm-hmm. the guy who's getting cocked in Dracula by Dracula. Yeah, you know, you're playing like skeevy rapists in mid level thrillers. Like, no, this guy is like a much better at being a straightforward leading yeah. man than he is at doing this character actor shit. Yeah. Because even this past year in Mission Impossible, he's just playing like he's playing, the creepy NSA yeah, head of the NSA. He's good in that movie. I saw someone say the other day that he looks like a young in that movie. He looks like a young actor who's been digitally aged. <laughs> <laughs> That's very on point. Wow, <laughs> it looks unsettling. <laughs> he does look unsettling. That that movie gives him some unforgivable dialogue. That I, he I, excels with. as someone who is a bit of a Mission Impossible Seven hater. Uh, Elvis's big scene in the climax where he like explains the plot of the movie is one of the better scenes in that. Yeah, movie. but he—if you give that to any other actor, yeah. though, yeah, it, it, oh, it's it's, 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 it's a it's, nightmare. Well, it's it, it is what McQuarrie said about casting. Uh, what's his face in Fallout? Mm-hmm. Um, who who is it? who plays Michelle Monaghan's husband in Fallout? I'm blanking on his. Oh, name. um, the, I know the, the guy, West Bentley. West Bentley. That West Bentley plays like a a character who is probably below his star persona mm-hmm. for two seconds in Fallout, and and McQuarrie said like, yes, I'm aware it's distracting, but you also like need an actor who can handle the weight of that scene. Yeah, like Elwes mm-hmm. is the same thing. And so, have Mission you seen Mission Impossible Seven yet? No. The end of the movie, Carrie Elwes gets this one scene where he's in like a train car. He, and he walks into the movie. He just explains the plot. Of he the has to explain movie. the entire plot of the movie. And then not only that, he has to explain what happened prior to the movie yeah. to a character while also explaining it to the audience to catch you up on everything that you that has happened off screen through the whole movie. It's like maybe it has potential to derail. Yeah, it's funny it should train. be a disaster. It could derail the entire movie. But he's having so much fun just being like, the Sevastopol. The Sevastopol. It's aboard the submarine. And then the camera's like kind of tilting at an angle and he's tilting his head with it. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> it's a fun, it's a fun That's scene. That's really um, good. Anyway, so Dracula and Mina um, have their relationship. Do we want to dive into Winona yeah. in this movie? Yeah. That's what this podcast is okay. about. So, because I think that we should deeply address the Winona of it all. So I, I alluded to this earlier, but. Well, well, it has not had the like long tail of yeah. the Keanu is bad in this movie yeah. stuff. There was some consternation about her performance yes. and her casting. And I do wonder if Age of Innocence kind of killed that because yeah. it, to, to some degree. She gets the nomination. Anti. She's also really good in the Age of Innocence. Mm. To some degree, the like anti Winona stuff in this, I just feels like reflexive. Like this is such a Gen X icon. Yes. She doesn't belong in period pieces. Mm-hmm. And I do think she disabouses, d- disabuses us of that notion very quickly because yeah. she does Age of Innocence and then Little Women yeah, and so quickly. House of the Spirits, apparently. Yeah, but, mm, because she does Age of Innocence and, and Little Women. Um, yeah, because she makes the very deliberate choice to that she's like, I don't want to get stuck in this persona. Yes. I'm going to just do the direct opposite. 
which is so smart as a performer, even though it opens you up to some blowback at the beginning of it. It does, and it doesn't really pay off for her long run. Yeah. Like you'd expect. She gets two Oscar nominations. Well, yeah, yeah, but but I am saying that like in a in a in a just world, this is like the level up moment. Yeah. This not just literally this movie, but this like run is like the level up moment that like leads to a long and fruitful career as a serious actress. Yeah. And ultimately, like ten years later, that experiment has run its course yes. for her, which is a bit of a bummer. Um, because I think she's extraordinary in this. Yes. I think that she gives the best performance. She's so good in this movie. And she she holds down a lot of complex like tensions. And like sexual negotiations that because allows other performers to be to like ham it up in a fun like, way. Obviously, Oldman is like the the star of the movie, but that's such a sexy but, performance yeah. on the page. Yeah, right. Exactly, and she has the the unsexy, the un like the unappealing work of making the yeah. the plot of the movie work. I, I talk about this a lot in my own podcast, but that like. When, when Colin Farrell is at his best, it's almost that he's taking the underwritten character on yes. the page and like fleshing it out so his co-stars can have more fun with the better written character yes. on the page. And that's very much what she's doing yeah. in this movie. I, I did want to ask, because you guys have watched all of them up to this. Yes. Um, has she ever been so sexual no. on screen? Because no. that that the 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 horniness and the eroticism of this performance, which I think she really, really lands yes. it feels so contrary to the winona star persona in toto right not just of the yeah. younger period but like through the 90s right well the interesting thing about it is the only time she's ever touched anything like this um i mean there's heathers which has but she, um sex in it but she's not the sexy one she's not the sexy one but she has a few sex scenes in that yeah movie. but 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 she's like a desexualized yeah. character and then in Edward Scissorhands. There's a big moment where she takes her shirt off, um, and that. But it was. It, it's like. It's like. It's not. It's like Edward's laying in the bed, and she comes in the room and takes her shirt off, and that's like the first time she's done that. I do yeah. not remember in a movie. I do not remember that in it, that movie. It, it's. It's. It really. There's. You wouldn't remember. Oh yeah. No. I'm just. I'm just. Um, yeah. But then she makes the deliberate choice of saying that she wanted, you know, to be respected seriously, and that she wanted to do. This role that plays so much in sex. Oh yeah, and important. She did have the rule that she would not do nudity in the movie. Sure, it uh, doesn't. Yeah, which it doesn't, as, doesn't require. As, as I am often very irritated by actors not doing nudity in movies that I think call for nudity, mm-hmm. male and female, right? And like both for purient reasons and just for like I think movies are more interesting if there's just nudity in them. In general, it's one of the things I love about Jane Campion that there's just so much casual nudity mm-hmm. in all her movies and like realistic nudity in the way other movies shy away from. This performance is more interesting for her not being naked, in yes, it because it's it's about that like edging up to the cusp of surrender that she's yeah. never fully willing to give herself over to. To Mr. Yeah. Dracula. Yeah. <laughs> Stuart walked in right in the middle of that one. That was funny. Yeah, I did. But um, I just think I just think the. The idea of Winona Ryder as a screen performer is this, like, anorak girl next door who, even when she's a romantic lead, is almost too, like, interesting to be be a sexual creature on screen, right? That she's, like, she's the 
intellectuals yes. ingenue, right? And to be the intellectuals ingenue means that you're not sexy yeah. in a movie because sexy is dumb, mm-hmm. which is a stupid dichotomy, but it's how it's how movies think about these It's how things, a lot of right? early movies work. Um, it's why, like, no one takes Sydney Sweeney interesting as someone who conceives of her own projects, right? Yeah. Because she's such a sexual object, even though she does think about these things much more than I think people yeah. talk to. She's a very intelligent performer yeah. who just got saddled with a, like, Valley Girl accent. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I just think I just think Winona's magnetic in this yeah. thing. And you watch it and you're like, well, this is why she burned so bright for mm-hmm. this period. And especially in... Con- have you guys watched... Age- have you seen Age of Innocence? I have not seen Age of Innocence. Yeah. yeah. It, it's so crazy that these two are back to back because because the time periods are the same, but what she's doing is so different in yeah. the Age of Innocence. Stuart, how do you feel about Winona in this movie? We, we're both pr- very positive. I'm also very positive. Yeah. Uh, you guys were kind of alluding... I, I just stepped back in, but you guys are alluding to like her edging up to the sexualness of her character, but not quite giving it. I, I kind of found that also to be hundred percent true. I mean, she, football like, game. She oh. does have that one scene where she like oh, implicitly it blows Gary Oldman. Um, but like, but even then it's like, it's, it's, it's artful, right? It's not graphic in the way that we have in this movie seen a woman get ravaged by a dog. Yes. Yeah. Right. Like that this, I was I was having the thought not to be crass, but like, you know, they they do look at pornography in this movie, mm-hmm. yeah, drawn pornography, and it's doggy style sex. Mm-hmm. And Mina is kind of baffled by the idea that anyone could have sex in that position. Yeah, because she's like, how do how do how do how, men, fi- how yeah. do men and women even do that? Yeah, and I was thinking about how like you you kind of leave something on the table by not having the wolf sex be doggy style yeah but then yeah. it was like i truly think in 1992 like that would get them an nc-17 yeah right like well they're that they're pushing that there is bestiality in this movie on screen yeah even if it's an actor in a suit yeah. like that is probably like the very limits but just that that this movie has gotten that graphic and then the dracula mina implicit sex scene where she drinks his blood mm-hmm. is so like withdrawn and pulled back and used from suggestion is i think by design, vis-a-vis how much we're going to sexualize Mina. Well, yeah. and there was even uh, talks that when this movie was getting preview screenings, and the wording's different, but I have a hunch about something that it that the audience commented that it's too gory. That they it's, did this movie's gory. very gory. Well, I have a hunch that I'm guessing it wasn't just blood and guts yes. that the audience. I'm guessing they pulled back a lot of the sexualness of it. It's pretty. It's not explicitly stated in like IMDb or probably Wikipedia that the sexualness got dialed back, but I just have a hunch that it did. I'm guessing that there was a lot more sexualness in this movie that explicit sexuality that wasn't put on screen. This movie is, I would say, very graphic for a big studio Oscar play. Yes. Both in terms of the blood, because it does have this like, you know, splatter energy yeah. mm-hmm. to a lot of the gore yeah. like feels like something out of a Sam Raimi movie or Peter Jackson mm-hmm. movie or yeah. like a DTV slasher film yeah. in a lot of ways. Everyone um, gets killed in despicable ways. But there's also like Lucy puking the blood onto Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. Right? That's like a a, a gag shot. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but like, but I think also the sex both like, because we, we have to remember that when we're talking about like sex in Hollywood movies, and especially in this period, it is not just what we think of as literal graphicness, which is like nudity and explicit positions. It is also like content that this is yeah. a movie that has group sex and bestiality in yeah. it that is depicted on screen in unambiguous fashion, mm-hmm. right? That like, this is stuff that you're not seeing in other movies of this scale in the early nineties where movies that I think are far less visibly graphic, but much more like yeah. conceptually sexual are mm-hmm. getting hit with this NC 17, unfortunately death now. Mm-hmm. Right. And I do have to wonder to what degree is this movie dodging the NC 17 because yeah. it's a Coppola movie with huge stars in it. Yeah. And it even has like, there's so much of the, we, I just we don't really have the time to get too much into it, but there's all the HIV subtext yes. of the concept of vampirism as this essentially sexually transmitted disease, which yeah. is obviously something that people do start. Yeah, doing. it's been the done se- a lot. The second they clock that AIDS is actually is a is a bloodborne condition, right? Like everyone starts running to the vampire. Yeah, thing. analogy. But you know what? It's because it it lands right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it works for this. You know, it's the the civilization civilization line from Van Helsing. Yeah, it's probably his best line in the movie. He's no. just so fucking funny in this movie, and it's such a great idea to have Van Helsing not be the like stodgy genius yeah. who comes in and is like, "Let me give you exposition," but instead this like wacky comedic relief. <laughs> yeah. No, Anthony Hopkins knew the assignment a to a T. Supernatural being too. I mean. I was just talking about Hopkins on my show, but like a thing you have to remember about Anthony Hopkins is that the Silence of the Lambs is 25 years into his career. Yeah. Right. His first big movie is The Lion in Winter, which is a Peter O'Toole, Catherine Hepburn movie Mm. from the 60s that he's like, but that he's like a a lead in. Right. Like, Mm. like Anthony Hopkins is someone who like gets decades to like get his level of craft down before he blows up mm-hmm. and then when he blows up he is just like the pro of pros yeah i i think a lot about ian mckellen hosted snl once yeah. and he gave a in his like, opening monologue he's talking about back when i was in the the theater course with anthony hopkins and dan maggish smith yes and, smith, now, and now hopkins is this uh, mckellen is a similar beast yeah. right and he's saying now i'm an action figure he's known for eating people's faces and she's the <laughs> harry potter lady and then, yeah. you know, the audience laughed. Yeah. <laughs> um, Do we think he's going to get an Oscar before he dies, McKellen? I, I think he's, 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 well, he's going to get nominated for Deadpool 3, obviously. Is he in that? Oh, he's, everyone's going to no. be in No. Ben Affleck's going to be in that movie. I, yeah, we, I, yeah. Um, the, hmm. I, I should actually say, it's funny I said Maggie Smith. Uh, Winona's biggest inspiration for this movie was she watched uh, period Maggie Smith movies. And that's how she okay. worked on the accent and yeah. the pose or the yeah. poise. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, if you've seen Younger Maggie, yeah. how quick can I speed run the rest of this movie plot wise? It's Dracula. <laughs> Wait, everyone knows what happens in Dracula. <laughs> uh, they all get together. Um, Mina gets kidnapped by Dracula and bitten. Um, she and Van Helsing go to Dracula's castle where they hope to lure Dracula into a final confrontation. The brides are killed. Um, one of the three men dies. I am forgetting which one because they're kind Texan. of interchangeable. Quincy, 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 the Texan. <laughs> Quincy the Texan dies. Um, then, uh, the stab Van Helsing with the, or Dracula with a Bowie knife, uh, through his heart, 
He starts dying. He brings Mina into his castle, where Van Helsing and Jonathan Harker agree that Mina will have to finish, finish this. Which is the big last diversion point from yes. the novel. This is also... Because she... But, but what you're also skipping over is that, you know, in the book, Dracula starts feeding on Mina to... Yeah. Um, basically as, like, a threat to Harker to be yeah. like, you're going after me, I'm going to take the thing you love. Yeah. But in this one, there's this idea that, like, no, Dracula is in love with Mina, and Mina is in love with Dracula, yes. right? That, like, mm-hmm. she is settling for Jonathan because he's a good Victorian man. Yeah. And she thinks it's, like, interesting to not marry up. But she meets this guy, and she is in love with him. So while they're trying to hunt down Dracula, she is, like, consumed with this guilt that she's aiding the people who are trying to kill her loved one, but Mm -hmm. also that he's a monster. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But she willingly like, there's that, that great moment where, where she, he's trying to turn into a vampire and he is like, I don't want to, I love you. I don't want to do this to you. And she's like, no, do it it to me. Take me from this death. Right. And it's interesting how like the transformation of a vampire in this movie, which I, if you tell me if it's like it, within the novel that it's like you have to drink the, it's, the vampire's blood. I can't blood. remember if it's in the novel, but certainly I would say much vampire fiction traditionally has yeah. done that. Okay. That idea that it's the it's the the consummation, the mixing of fluids. Yeah. Right. Like that's how it yeah. is in. I think the Anne Rice stuff, that's how it is in Buffy, like stuff that's a little more quick and dirty yeah. and wants the more zombie energy has sure. just the bite. Just, just the bite. But I think most vampire stuff has this idea of like that you're fucking, right? That yeah. like that like it's give and take. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Mina and Dracula have this uh, essentially romantic farewell inside. It's very like Cyrano de Bergerac in a yeah, weird way. It's, it's <laughs> lovely. It's lovely. And like the crucifix is restored and, you know, he, she is added to the mural above him. And she's not killing him. She's yeah. saving him. She's releasing right? him. She's releasing mm-hmm. him back to heaven, right? Like and he's repented. So this is where I want to talk about George Lucas real quick. Okay. Because Coppola showed his best friend or one of his best friends, George Lucas, the movie. They get to the scene and Dracula just kind of like dies. He just dies. And George like, that's not how vampires are killed. Yep. He's right. And he's like, he's what? right. He's right. And like, vampires cut, they cut their heads off. You got to cut their heads off. And Scope's like, are you fucking serious? He's and, right. And George he's is so like, right. you already did in the movie. It's so, so Coppola had to go back and reshoot the end of this movie. But it's so it's because much George better. Lucas is like, got to cut the head off. It is one, but it is one thing yeah. for him to die in her arms. It is another one thing, thing for, her for her to them to have this like last moment and then for her to mutilate his body as like the ultimate act of love. Yeah. yeah. Right. That, that it ends with her slicing his head off and then just like looking into the sky yeah. And Elizabeth and Dracula credits. are united. They're in there, and then bam, roll fucking credits. Yeah. It's such a powerful ending. It's a ending. good ending. It's I, a really I, good I ending. like to think that George remembered this moment when he had Count Dooku's head get cut off um, in Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. <laughs> so he's just like, gotta cut that off. <laughs> Count Dooku's head get cut off. Oh, yeah, it isn't that, is that one. Yeah, I was yeah, thinking cut, of Django Fett's head getting cut off. I, you know what I think about a lot? This is random divergence. Star Wars? No, I think about, <laughs> I think about how Christopher Lee um, did, 
uh, came back in like two major blockbuster franchises in the early 2000s and then only appears in the first scene of the third one where he gets his uh, murdered immediately. And one of them, he wasn't even in the theatrical Yeah, release. he gets cut out. <laughs> he gets literally cut out. Um, Every time someone tells me that they should have put the Skyrim and the Sire stuff in Return of the King, I want to like wedge it. It would have been such it a terrible idea. Disastrous. disastrous. The, the what? In the, have you read that novel? I just didn't hear what you said. The Skyrim and the Shire. Oh, like the the, okay. the the massive third act at the end of <sighs> yeah. the last book, which is fine no. in a book. The yeah. movie already has like five endings and, to it. Yeah. Don't tell Mark we said that. <laughs> Does, is he a Skyrim the Shire truther? No, he hates it when people talk about that movie having too many endings. Okay. It drives him crazy. The, the Scouring <laughs> of the Shire. Look, one of my favorite movies of all time, and I admit, it has him. too many endings. Let's call him. You want to get. I'll call him. Oh, God. <laughs> right. I got uh, Stuart, what is like hard, hard for you? Do you have five now. more minutes? Okay, you have five more minutes. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have a 20 minute drive home and a 15 minute pack up. Okay. Where are you going? Home. Okay. Like, literally home. Okay. Um, Jeff can hey, do his Mark, laundry while quick, we record. Re- I can't. Real, real quick question. <laughs> real, real quick question. <laughs> do I'm trapped, Mark. <laughs> do you think they should have put the scouring of the Shire in the Return of the King? No. Okay, interesting. <laughs> do you think it has too many endings? No. <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs> okay, good. All right. All right. Yeah. So let's let's quick final thoughts. Uh Great Rom movie. Great movie. Incredible movie. Masterpiece, but like a masterpiece yeah. of like just sheer texture. Stuart, how long have we right. been going for? Uh, two hours, 20 minutes. Hell yeah. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Just, just, it just, it just, it just feels so good. Yes. Right. It's not like, I was actually like worried that we, I, I was like, what do we even talk about with this movie? Because it's just the sensation of watching the thing is the potency. As an adaptation, it's a mess. Ideologically, I think it's a little incoherent. Like even narratively, it is often like for large stretches, very boring. But I just love the sense of it all. I think that this is one of our most wide ranging episodes in terms of conversation. Well, that's because I'm on it. And no, and <laughs> it's not just because he, I think that this movie, like yeah. I think it's just, this movie lends itself to us having this kind of more freely and talking about a lot of topics. Yeah. Um, whether it's Keanu or whether it's the HIV parallel or whether it's just the art of adaptation in general, we've touched on a lot of things this episode. And I think that it takes a movie like a special movie like this to spawn that conversation. Yeah. But listeners, level. if you've never seen this, you really yes. you, go home and watch. N- no talking about this movie we'll supersedes yeah. the the movie itself because it is just such a sensual pleasure. I think I, this is my second favorite movie we've ever talked about. I think it's behind Blowout. Oh, I would say that. Wow. Yeah. I mean, wow, I, I do wow. think that's probably yeah. correct. I I can't decide right now. Yeah, I have I'm to. T- I have why to would, let it what, what else is even up there? Um, I'm, I love Killers of the Flower Moon, but it's too good. soon for me to Quite say that. Quite good, but... It's too soon for me to say that. But Darkly Noon is better. <laughs> Darkly Noon is pretty good, though. Darkly Noon is pretty good. Um, anyone else have any final things to say about this movie nope. before I start closing us out? Um, box office hit. Yep. Uh, makes 250 million. But it had a pretty sharp drop-off, I think. It, it, didn't it open really strong and... It makes 215 off a of 40 budget. Yeah. Um, I might be wrong. I am struggling to find. Um, it had a fifty percent week uh, drop. Oh, that's actually it's actually not terrible. That's not bad. Um, it beat the rec- It beat the opening weekend record in the UK yes. that was set by Batman Returns. This is gets, a much better movie. Than gets that. nominated by for four Oscars, wins three for costume design, makeup, and sound editing, loses art direction insanely. Not not in picture, but I just think it's yeah. It, it, that that's asking for too much. 
I I I'm I would have probably nominated. This is a, this is a bad best picture field. Yeah. Personally, I, I'm of the opinion. Malcolm X doesn't even get nominated. No, well, they were never. They didn't. They weren't doing that. They were. Yeah. They were not nominating the Spike Lee movies when Spike Lee's making the best movies ever made, like on an annual basis. Is mm-hmm. the problem? Look, it's it, the best picture field this year is mostly movies that are pretty good. Yes, but none of them are better than pretty good, and I do think that is actually a rarity for best picture lineups. Mm-hmm. Um. So that, yeah, that's um, this movie redefines uh, vampire movies. Um, some of which we'll probably talk about in the future of the show. Probably. Um, all right, but that's all I have to say about Bram Stoker's Dracula. I'll start leading us out. Who's that? I think you got to open the door, Stuart. No, just ignore it. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> can I come in? Where's the off switch? Can I come in? It's right here. Can we just, can we just can I come in? I know. I can... I'm trapped outside the door. You <laughs> yeah. got to let me in. It's raining. You know, can All I right. just say my biggest bugger? I guess I'm not allowed to come into the house. I'm trapped outside the here on the stoop. All right. How long come, can you just come, keep... right. don't, come, No, no, no. Come no, on in. Oh, oh, thank no. you. I've been invited inside. Oh, I'd like to thank everybody for listening to this episode of Travolting Presents Easy Riders, covering oh. Brahma Stoker's Dracula. Shouldn't it just be Easy Rider? I don't know. <laughs> Tune in next week for our episode on The Age of Innocence, joined oh, by Mark I, Tilly. Can I just say one you thing? You dare insult the Lord of Darkness by trying to cut him off. Can I just ask you two one question about Age of Innocence? Blah, blah, blah. Dracula, Dracula, you can weigh in on this, too. Yes. I know you haven't watched it yet. But I have when, not seen the movie. When you two watch it, can you just get back to me and tell me if Winona Ryder is playing the Dark Lord Satan himself? In that movie, because I can't make up my mind. I'm best friends with the Dark Lord yeah, Satan, and I'll let in? you know. Can you check in, Count? <laughs> <laughs> I'll check in for you. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> make sure to please remember to, know, to rate, Stuart, or review, and to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening <laughs> on. As a reminder, Travolting <laughs> is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts, which not does, does not exist anymore, can much like me. It is the undead. Can I? We're also on YouTube. Compopator on Reddit, r slash Travolting, at Travolting Pod <laughs> on Twitter or Instagram, and the Blue Sky and Threads, at Jeff W. Sweeney on Twitter. Anything you would like to plug? Uh, yeah, you should listen to uh, Above the Title, uh, which is my podcast, which is about uh, the career of Colin Farrell. Uh, is this still dropping on the 7th? This will be yes. This will be dropping on February. Wow, 7th. Dracula! How did you know that? <laughs> I have, I can see time and space in memoriam. Um, yeah, listeners, if you're listening to this the week it comes out in uh, two days, uh, Jeff is going to be on my show talking about a very normal movie saving Mr. Banks in a very normal podcast recording. It is definitely true. My isn't, thrall, Jeff Sweeney, will be on the show. It definitely wasn't four hours long. Um, <laughs> we didn't talk. But yeah, listen, to, listen, to, listen to my show. It's a good show. It's a great show. I've listened to every episode. I've also listened to every episode, Drac. It's, it's fascinating. Um, yeah, so th- finally, thing. Special thanks to Rebecca Sweeney for our graphic design and Michael Van Bodegum Smith for design? the theme music. <laughs> oh, oh, I- now I have come to suck your blood. Ah! The internal logic of Dracula's relationship to the show. I am sucking sense. your blood. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>